Good morning, it's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, a lot of games after a bunch of big games. I didn't feel like we had big games last night, but there were two NFL games. There was a college football bowl game that probably interested me more than interested most of you. Uh, San Diego State won, so the Mountain West is now 4-0 in bowl games. Uh, And there was college hoops, so we had a little bit of everything. An NBA schedule without the Jazz, who aren't back at it until Thursday night when Minnesota comes to town. Uh, The college basketball, Utah State had a scheduled win, and as scheduled, Utah State won. 9-4 now. The Aggies, 9 wins, 4 losses after blowing out Portland State, 81-62. Portland State is 3-7. They are a not-very-good Big Sky basketball team. And Utah State brought him in and beat him up. Uh, as you might expect, Bean went nuts. Justin Bean had 29 points, 12 rebounds in 34 minutes. He's having a great year. Uh, when you read the early NBA draft stuff, his name is coming up. He's catching people's attention. I think that <clears throat> that's really all he can do right now. You know, there'll be bigger games against better opponents. How does he handle NCAA tournament quality opposition, especially when he's seeing them for a second or a third time? Uh, all of that to be seen. But he's got some size. He can shoot a little bit, and he can move a little bit. And right now, if you have those three things, you at, at minimum, at minimum, you've got the eye of NBA scouts. So we'll see how it goes. But against Portland State, who's overmatched, he just torched them. 29-12 uh, and 12 to, uh, to lead the way in a blowout win. Uh, the Utes played Fresno State, a team that I think ultimately will be middle of the Mountain West. We'll have to see. I think a lot of people... Uh, preseason predictions say Colorado State and San Diego State are the top of the league. Uh, the Utes beat Fresno State, and the Utes did it without um, Carlson, who's out for a couple of games here. Uh, and they win 55-50. And Mahorsich has been out. I mean, he's out for a while now, and he has been out for a while and will be out for a while longer. We'll see if they get him back in January sometime. But in a game that was uh, described on Twitter as a rock fight, I believe, uh, yeah, okay, fair. 55-50 Utah over Fresno State. Now, in the era of run-and-gun, three-point basketball, you don't see a lot of those games. There are still a few teams to play low-scoring games, maybe not 50s, but they're comfortable in the 60s. We've actually seen that with some of our local teams here. But this one barely got to the 50s. This one looked like it was going to finish with both teams in the 40s. And it took uh, you know a little late-game magic for both teams to get to 50 points. <laughs> Honestly, I thought there was a decent chance that he was going to win this thing with like 49 points. But they get the win, and you know, when you're shorthanded, and you know, let's be honest, they're not a great team. This is a program that has to be rebuilt. And if you hit in the transfer portal, you can do that really quickly. If you get one or two of the right recruits, I don't think the youths have those guys, which means it's going to be a little bit of a grind. So they grind it out, they get the win. Winning's better than losing. Utah improves to 8 and 4 on the year, and Fresno State falls to 9 and 3. BYU will be in action against South Florida tonight. Uh, they're in a tournament in Hawaii. They are playing, uh, I think it's the Diamond Head Classic, because I think I called it the other one is wrong. Basically, in Hawaii, they have like, nobody wants to fly out to Hawaii for one non-conference game. So basically, Hawaii has a tournament every week, every other week. They just keep loading them up, and everybody wants to go to Hawaii. So why not? So BYU will be out there for a game tonight against South Florida. And then they'll play tomorrow. You know who they play depends on how the games go today. It's eight teams, single elimination, and then the championship, third, fifth, and seventh place games are on Christmas Day. And all the games are on ESPNU or ESPN two, so you have a chance to follow the Cougars tonight. So there was a college hoops. Um, 
The NFL action, we're seeing a lot of guys um, injured. And we're seeing some guys going to health and safety protocols. And I just think the combination is just its just devastating offenses. This is hurting offenses way more than defenses. The scoring tends to get a little, uh, little lower later in the year anyway. The high-scoring shootouts tend to happen earlier in the year. Not exclusively, but I think mostly. Injuries, teams um, on film. You can become a little more predictable. Defenses know, and uh, it seems to be just accelerating this year. Uh, it was really painful the the Seahawks Rams game. Rams kicked a, or Seahawks kicked a field goal right before halftime to tie the game three three at the break, and the Rams had scored on a fifty five yard field goal from Matt Gay, the former Ute. Not a lot of offense. Picked up a little bit in the second half. Uh, Rams get the win, twenty to ten, and they are ten and four. They are tied with Arizona for the division lead with three games to go. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. There's a possibility that those two teams will end up four or five. Uh, there's, you know, basically every division leader except the Packers is on ten and four right now. Dallas and Tampa Bay are both ten and four. And Leonard Fournette, who left their last game injured, they announced he's going to miss the rest of the regular season. And they hope to get him back for the playoffs, but there's no reason to risk him in the regular season because they're going to win the division. And just take whatever draw you get. Get Leonard Fournette healthy. Because when he's healthy, he's a game changer. Big time. There aren't that many running backs you can say that about, but you can say that about him. And he will he will extend drives, convert third and one, third and two, fourth and one. And at the same time, he can you give him a little bit of a crease, he can go 60 yards for a touchdown. We've seen him do that to win a game uh, in overtime earlier this year. So they got to get him back and get him healthy. Uh, and that will be interesting to see Rams or Cardinals down the stretch. And the, the Rams don't look great, but the Cardinals look terrible. So advantage Rams, probably. But with three games to go, anything can happen. Um, and then the other game, the uh, Eagles beat Washington 27-17. Washington, I mean, 27, okay, that, that's, that's a decent number, right? But, man, everybody else is scoring 17 points. They had a 16-14 game yesterday, had 20-10. to 10. Uh, It just seems like everybody's stuck between 10 and 20 points. It's just not a lot of points, not a lot of scoring going on. And uh, and then you got the college football game. San Diego State beat UTSA. A lot of people thought maybe UTSA would uh, end up playing BYU. That would be two ranked teams and glamorous bowl matchup in Birmingham. But uh, I really think geography won out. UTSA could play San Diego State, and the drive from San Antonio to Dallas probably about three hours. Instead of trying to go to Alabama, Birmingham, they announced fifteen thousand the bowl game, which isn't a huge crowd, but um, they could have played in front of five. So, San Diego State's not bringing that many people. Friends and family, maybe a band, I don't know. Uh, so, UTSA. And for, uh, for, the, for UAB going to Louisiana, that made more sense. You know, send UAB to Louisiana, and BYU ended up getting beat anyway in the rain. So, 4-0 now for the Mountain West as they are cleaning up. Wyoming won. That was a, uh, that was a weird-looking bowl game. I don't know what else to tell you. I did see on Twitter, and I don't know who to give a credit to. <laughs> Somebody on Twitter said, Wyoming's in brown, and the other team's in gold, and they're playing on a blue field. This looks like a full toilet bowl. Like, okay, you're gross, but you're funny. So, there you go. 
Wyoming wins. Fresno State already had a bowl win. Utah State, obviously, with a bowl win. It's, uh, it's trending well for the Mountain West. They're winning a lot in the postseason. They had a good year against the Pac-12. Now they're a good year in the bowl game. We'll see what this uh, see what this translates into going forward. All right, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. There's a little basketball, a little football, and we've got more of both those things coming up. Joe Ingles later this hour, but Riley is coming up next. Our college football insider, Riley Jensen, joins is next. Stay with us. Join Hans and Scotty Wednesday at LHM Riverdale from noon to 3 at 1481 West Riverdale Road in Riverdale. Joined right now by our college football insider, Riley Jensen. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877-346-3333. Riley, good morning. What's up, dudes? How's everything going? Not not as good for us as it is for you. Have you come down yet from Saturday night? You were on Twitter going berserk. Yeah, I don't know that I've ever seen or heard you more excited about a team winning a game than the Aggies winning that bowl game and getting win number 11. Listen, listen, I'm, I, I, you know, I converted halfway through the season because PK told me that if it wasn't 10 wins that we were – that, that it was bust, and so once I got converted, I was all in. I'm like, I'm like, a, I'm like a, a convert that's really excited about Utah State football. Riley, I didn't convert you. The spirit of football converted you. <laughs> I love your humility. I love your humility. <laughs> oh man! No, I, and 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 please, Utah State fans, don't like drive off the road saying I got converted to Utah State football. I could, I got converted to the idea that they could win ten games, and they won eleven. I mean, it, seriously, it was. It was very fun. I thought the one thing that I that I didn't expect that was a little bit more fun as a Utah State alumni and fan was I, I just thought the L.A. Bowl had kind of a good look to it, a good feel. I mean, the SoFi Stadium, I thought it was going to be so big that it just looked ridiculous on TV. It sounded loud. I thought both teams played really hard. Um, they looked like they both wanted to be there and that they both wanted to win that game. I thought, uh, and then I thought, again, and and I know that I've given you guys some guff about the defense, but I think we all know that the defense at certain times during the year was just like a big head scratcher. Like, God, what are we, what are we going to get out of these guys? But whatever they, whatever they figured out, you know, over those last two games, that was, that was a, a really high level of defense that Utah State played. And then, God, you know, the offense has played so well. And then, you know, Cooper Lega, you know, at least everybody knows how to pronounce his name now. <laughs> you come in, I thought Legas looked good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you come in, you throw a touchdown on your first pass ever. I mean, people are going to figure out how to say your name. So there was just a, a lot of fun things if you're a Utah State fan. Um, I was – you know, my my parents are Utah State Aggies. I have uncles that are Utah State Aggies. A lot of their friends are Aggies. A lot of them were arguing with me that the best team ever is the 1961, you know, Merlin Olsen, ranked number 10 in the, in the nation, 9-1-1. One, and one. And there's lots of good reasons to think that, that that might be the best team. But this is the most current, and it's the only one I've ever seen that's played 
this hard and this consistent for the whole season. Riley Jensen, our college football insider, joining us. So, that was a huge, uh, just a just a huge exclamation point to the season for the Aggies. How disappointed should BYU fans be over their bolos, or do they write it off, backup quarterback, rain game, uh, lots of injuries on defense? It doesn't, it doesn't diminish the season. Well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to tell them whether they can be upset about it or not, but I, I don't know. I think, I think there was a little bit of a taste. I mean, just from the outside looking in, I was kind of hoping that all three teams would win their bowl game and that all three teams would, you know, like, kind of ride off into the like best best season ever for the state of Utah for the for the three you know FBS teams so I there was a little bit for me that was disappointed you know I thought I thought they played well enough to win that game I thought defensively I was a little bit shocked in, in certain places where they weren't where they weren't able to make those timely or or those important plays where you get off the field and give give your offense a chance, and then you know I don't know about the Samson Nakua call. I thought I I really didn't think that he made a football move. I, I but you know that's one of those things where you just got to take care of the football, and then you don't have, you don't have to leave it in the referee's hands, right? And even though I think that was probably a bad call, um. I, I I guess going back to your original question, I, I'm a little bit disappointed about it, so I'm sure that BYU fans are a little bit disappointed, and I think it's okay. But I still think it's a great season, and I still think there there are so many things to be happy about if you're a BYU fan. I'm going to go back to this quarterback situation for Utah State. Now, he knows that he's elevated from third to second team in this game, so it's a little bit different. But how does somebody stay ready and mentally into the situation when you've not had any opportunities to do anything in the games? Well, I, I will say this. When, when, when you play in a bowl game, the, the, reps are, the, the reps are a little bit different. So... Typically, whenever I was involved in a bowl game, the whole first week is kind of like get young guys some extra reps, right? So, and and depending on 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 when you know finals are and all that kind of stuff, and you're working you're working out a lot of details when you're doing this kind of stuff. And then, of course, Utah State's coaches are going to be out on the road recruiting really hard in the first week. And then in the second week, they come back and they kind of get prepared. But my guess is is that Cooper had a lot of reps, a lot more reps than he normally would have. Um, I know, I know that Logan Bonner had been injured quite a bit during this year. I mean, his his ankle has never really had, you know, that opportunity to heal the way that that, that he would like it, the way the team would like it, and he's been very very tough. He's been very scrappy throughout the whole year to be able to. But my guess is also that he didn't take as many reps because he was hurt. And so you've got, you know, you've got two quarterbacks out now. My guess is that he got a lot of reps. But that doesn't, I mean, that all being said, you have to have a special kind of mentality as a second string quarterback, as a relief pitcher. As someone, you have to have a certain level of maturity to be able to handle that situation because it's not easy. Um, 
everybody thinks like, oh, yeah, man, it'd be so great to play college football. You don't get hurt. You don't take the hits. But as a competitor, you have to be able to sit there and go, okay, I got to get mental reps here. I got to do well on the reps that I get. And then who knows, if I get called, I got to be ready to go. But, I mean, you're also looking at a kid. I mean, Cooper Legault won two state championships as a quarterback. He, I think he threw two state championships as a javelin and then had two as a wrestler. I mean, this is – this is a competitive kid, and for you know, <laughs> I love wrestling. So don't everybody don't get mad at me here. But man, if any if anybody plays football and they wrestled, every single wrestler in the world has to tell me how great that is. <laughs> I always get lectured about, oh my gosh, he wrestled in high school and he played football. That's why he's such a good football player. No, he's just a freaking stud athlete. Like I don't care whether he wrestled or not. He's a, he's a really good athlete. So, um, but he is—he's a competitor, and I think he was ready. And I think you have to tip your cap to him a little bit because that's not an easy situation to be in. So, how does the quarterback situation play itself out next year? The transfer portal's a big thing. You got three guys who have to be thinking. They have to be thinking. I could do it. I could be the guy. I could be the guy, and we could go big. They all have to be thinking that. I think all, I, I think all three of them could make an argument. That you know that that they should be or could be the guy. I think I think those are good problems to have as a coach, or at least they used to be good problems to have. Now, I would not be surprised if one of those quarterbacks isn't here next year. And I and I don't have any inside information. I don't have, but just the nature of the position, the nature of the fact that all three in different games this year really contributed to that Mountain West Conference championship and um, played really well at certain times. They All three of them have enough film to, to do whatever they want. Um, but I just think I, – I and I don't think it'll be Logan Bonner. I think it'll be one of those two. But Cooper has – you know, he, he has a few more years left of eligibility. So you're you're looking at somebody that – like could maybe be patient for a year and then and then and then kind of take over the program. So it'll be interesting to see. It'll be really really interesting to see how this all turns out. The key now for Anderson and the Aggies is to keep this thing going and boy, he really set a standard here obviously in the first year. And we were talking about this the other day. You know, Boise has hit on so many good coaches that maybe they're due to not have a right? slam dunk who's going to go on and, and get a big P5 job P five job because there's been so many of them. So what can the Aggies do to maintain this? And do you think they have a legitimate shot now to be, uh, the, at least in the division, the team to beat? Yeah, well, I don't think they're the team to beat till they beat Boise. <laughs> I, I mean, they didn't beat Boise. Love, you got me there. Yeah, I mean, I, I listen. I, I would love, I would love to say that, but I mean, there just hasn't been enough wins over Boise, you know, over the years for us to, to, to really just like you know pound our chest and say we're the team of the division. Although I think they made a huge statement this year. I think, I think that's one thing that you would use as motivation as a coach, right? Like, look, we haven't we haven't really put them in their place. We haven't really put them where they're supposed to be. And man, I hope you're right. I hope you're right, PK. Because man, it'd be nice if if Boise State could just like come down a notch and not land every single coach for eternity, you know. And uh, but but 
Utah State sent a huge message. I think they did such an impressive job with the portal last year, and there's indications that they've got, you know, they got a linebacker out of our Arkansas State portal. They got MJ Tafisi, who I was around when I was coaching at Alta, who's transferring from Washington, who's an absolute missile as far as like playing linebacker goes. They seem to have filled in some of the gaps in offensive line, which they wanted to, and linebacker, which is what they're really going after. They've got a BYU legacy from uh, Jason Anderson, who's – I remember when I played football at BYU, I seriously saw Jason Anderson, and I thought, that's the biggest human being I've ever seen in my entire life. I've never even seen him. Mean, he goes like 6'8". When we were in college, he was like 6'8", 300. He could run. He played in the league for the Patriots. His son, Teague Anderson, is playing for the Aggies. Um, so there's there's just some there's some indications that, one, they really know how to use this portal, and two, they're going to continue to fill in the gaps the way they need to. And, man, with with Logan Bonner and, and, and these quarterbacks on the on, – <coughs> On the team, I think you have to say that they they have a legitimate chance to make a run at the championship. Now, will be will it be as good as this year? I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, look, it's 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 arguably the best team in the history of Utah State, uh, with the exception of you know maybe 2018, 2012, and I guess 1961. But you're talking about you're talking about easily top five team. So to replicate that is going to be tough next year. But I think there's been enough success in the last nine, ten years at Utah State. I mean, I think, what is it, nine out of the last 11 years they've been to a bowl game? I think you're starting to – I think you really have to say, if you're a Utah State fan, this is kind of the golden era of being a Utah State fan. Now, the argument of the older generation is like, well, bowl games are like a dime a dozen now. Like, you can go to a bowl game, you know, for nothing. But – Back in the day, we weren't even bowl eligible, you know, and so at least they're bowl eligible every year and giving themselves a chance to do something. But this is a this is a really really good era for Utah State football, and I think Blake Anderson. I mean, hopefully he's the guy that's you know the Urban Meyer equivalent that really takes him to the next level and really becomes like you know starts to put it to to Boise State when they need to and starts to put together amazing seasons for Utah State. And then you just kind of go, wow, okay, this is exactly where you've always wanted to be. Now let's take advantage of it. And so, I listen, it's it's a good time to be an Aggie. It's always a good time to be an Aggie, but it was especially good this weekend. So there's one football game left for the locals now, now that BYU and Utah State are done. The Utes and the Buckeyes in the Rose Bowl. It's time to talk about that nonstop and obsess. Where would you like to start? One thing today that you would like the people to consider about the granddaddy. Ooh. Well, I, I the, the the one thing that's just really fun, and I've I've never been to that game. I've been to that stadium. I know people that have played in that game. I had teammates that played with me at Snow College that went to Wisconsin and played in that game. It's just a it's just a really fun game, right? It's a really fun game to think about. It's a really fun game, even from the prestige of having gone to the Fiesta Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. But I think I think I think part of this is just kind of it's kind of fun for me to think that they're playing a traditional Big Ten team 
in the Rose Bowl. They're playing Ohio State. I mean, that's just kind of a – I mean, that's a good name. You go, you win that game, you know, it's like beating Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. Like, there's there's nobody that can say that you're not a legitimate team if you go and you win this Rose Bowl. And I think I think Cam Rising, I think you give him four weeks to prepare. I think Kyle Whittingham, you give him four weeks to prepare. You 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 take, you know, Morgan Scally and give him four weeks to prepare. I think I think this is a scary team right now. I I, I don't think if there was a twelve game playoff or even a you know, a sixteen game playoff, I don't think anybody in the top sixteen would want to be playing Utah right now. Oh hell no. <laughs> Thanks, Booner. <laughs> <laughs> You've always been a Utah homer. I mean, you've always just been hey. all about the Utes. So, since, yeah, before, hell, about it, since before he was born. I mean, <laughs> you look at my background growing up back east. I was like the lone Ute fan on my block. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew I was on to you, and he just admitted it. Everybody I mean, listened. Yeah, just admitted yeah. it. He's a Utah homer. I go back to Lee Gross Cup and Larry Wilson. Ooh. Larry Wilson was in my office the other day. That's a, that was a nice pull right there. That's a, well, that's a, not, that's not a the Larry Wilson who was the Hall of Famer who played safety. <laughs> okay, maybe not that one. I'm thinking of the the former Highland Harriman coach who's like that's a, a legend coach. Yeah. yeah. Well, Riley, we appreciate it. Congrats on your Aggies Bowl win. And now uh, the countdown is on. We got on this side of Christmas and then the hype for the Rose Bowl, really. There'll be people in the airport every day and cars headed it's south. Fun. It's, a fun, it's a fun time to be a fan of football in the state of Utah right now. A yeah, really absolutely. fun time. Yep. Thanks, Riley. Okay, guys. Thanks. There's Riley Jensen, our college football insider, former Utah State quarterback, all fired up about his Aggies in their 11-win season, as he should be. This is a brand new era of Aggie football. I don't really want to compare it to the Merlin Olsen teams. We didn't see them play. There's no film. We don't know the relative strength of the competition. So it's a different era. But they moved to the Mountain West nine years ago. In the last 10 years, they've had three 11-win seasons. They won 11 games the last year in the WAC. And they've done it with three different coaches. This is now what is possible at Utah State for a lot of reasons. The facilities are better. The conference and the schedule are much better. Utah high school football is better. They're good in-state players. And with Utah and BYU recruiting a a lot of -of out-of-state kids, Utah more than BYU, uh, but both of them recruiting out-of-state kids, and there's more in-state kids than ever, right in the sweet spot for Utah State. Right in the sweet spot. So, congrats to Utah State. A third 11-win season in a decade and we'll see where they go from here. All of those quarterbacks could be back. Two juniors and a sophomore. But as Riley points out, they probably won't all be back. Someone will go in the transfer window. You could be second string. I really think quarterbacks have to rethink being second string, first string, third string. Here, Everybody, you know, if you're the starter, you're probably not going anywhere unless the team's terrible and you can go to a better team. The, the second guy probably needs to stay put. If you're going to be number two, the odds of the starter getting hurt It's a decent shot. No guarantee, but it's a decent shot. And there's a chance the starter struggles. Probably not in the case of Utah State, but maybe in another school. Like Utah this year. Starter struggled. Go with the backup. See what happens. The number three player isn't getting that many reps and is a long way away from playing. If you're third on the depth chart, I get why you transfer. But I don't think you should be transferring because you're number two. There's a good chance you could be right back in there. 
All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, Joe Ingles makes his weekly visit. That's next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles joined us in the 9 o'clock hour yesterday. Getting in a holiday visit. We'll be off on Thursday and Friday. He's got a game on Thursday and doesn't want to talk to us on Christmas Eve. So Joe, Joe joined us yesterday. Here's our weekly chat with Joe on The Joe Ingles Show. Hey, yeah. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Bam. Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show <laughs> with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Joe Ingles joins us right now on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs. Or call 877-346-3333. Joe, good morning. Good morning. So, Joe, I'm, I'm curious about this. We know about the I kids. We know <laughs> it works out well. I ask questions, so it's good that I, I, I'm curious. <laughs> when Jerry Sloan coached the team, there was this whole, uh, and actually, I think it even went back to Frank Layden. There's this whole thing. They always took a pre-Christmas road trip, and it usually ended on December 23rd. And they went out and played five or six games. There's usually an Eastern trip. Under the theory was, hey. Right before Christmas, you play a bunch of home games. There's a lot going on. Uh, Maybe not so much for you during a pandemic being from Australia, but people have family in town, and there's family demands, and guys are distracted, and they'll play well. He would just prefer to be on the road then and and go go out on the road together as a team. Now you're home. You're literally playing Christmas night, and I wonder how much that's great or how much that messes up the Christmas season for you or what you think about it. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess uh, the game is it, it's fun to play on Christmas. It's, it's obviously different, um, especially growing up in Australia and having Christmas in the summer of 100 and plus degrees and swimming in the pool all day and then having Christmas in uh, the freezing cold snow now. Um, the, the game, I mean, we've played in a couple of them since I've been here and um, obviously fun. Um Obviously, as a 34-year-old, I'm not really, like, celebrating and having, like, a ton of fun at Christmas. It's obviously about my children now. So um, my enjoyment and the happiness on Christmas is seeing my kids happy and and opening presents and and doing all that. So as long as the game doesn't doesn't affect getting to open presents with the kids, which it won't because it'll be at 6 o'clock in the morning, I got no issue playing on, on Christmas. Uh, well, there. If you're not I'm having any, not, go ahead, not Joe. Myself, um, but guys w- would have family in town or, or friends or whatever, um, wh- whoever they spent Christmas with. So, I mean, I understand where where people try and bring that in, but it's also. I mean, we're like everybody else. Like, I'm sure a million other people have family come in and they still are working. And um, obviously, ours is just a bit different because people get to watch and judge us on how we work every day. 
And I will judge you. You better believe it. <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw a thing uh, that you scored your 5,000th point. I don't even know that you knew it. I didn't know it. But I'm going to ask you, do you remember your first NBA bucket? I do. Um, randomly. Um, I stand to the first. No, I had no idea that I was there or even close or whatever um, or what my number even looked like. Um, I do remember my first. So I played. I, I only got to Utah a couple of days before the first home game of the year, um, and we got smacked by Houston. Um, that was when they had Harden and, and all those guys, and I'll still never forget it for some random reason. Alex Jensen always laughs with me about it still, but it was um, Harden had ten assists, and every assist was for a three. So he had like he had contributed however many points, but all. I don't know how many times someone would have had every assist be assisted as a... Anyway, that's just pointless information that I remember. <laughs> um, and then we actually went to Dallas for, for the yep. second game of the year. And I hit a shot, which is weird because it was like a, a mid-range, like a long mid-range pull-up. Um, Dallas bench and took a dribble in and, and made a, a shot, which is weird now because... Since that one, I've got like 10 mid-range pull-ups in the last seven years. So, um, yeah, that was the, the first one. Yes, it was. I looked it up. October 30th. And did you know one of your starters on your team at that point was Ennis Freedom? Uh, well, I'm very well aware of that, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't Ennis. It was Ennis Cantor at the time. <laughs> Okay. Uh, obviously, a lot's changed uh, in the last few years. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Understatement. <laughs> oh, man. I was actually watching uh, Philadelphia and uh, the end of the Philly-Boston game, just the last two minutes, and Embiid had like nine points in, uh, in 90 seconds. Do you want to guess who he was matched up with, Joe? Uh, Mr. Freedom. Bingo! <laughs> he was getting anything he wanted. It turned out he wanted, believe it or not, he wanted long twos. He hit a bunch of 17-footers. And he yeah. made every one of them. <laughs> That's, uh, I heard, it might have been George Niang actually talking about it. The commentators, like, calling a Philly game, and they were like, oh, he keeps getting to this tough mid-range, and then he hit, like, same thing, like, same what you said, like, four or five in a row, and the commentators were like, I think he's actually trying to trying to get that shot. <laughs> that's the shot. That's the shot he wants. So he's, I don't know what his numbers look like, but he's, it seems like he's incredibly efficient off that like one dribble, little hesitation, mm-hmm. and shoot it. So, um, hopefully, Mister Freedom watches some film and they they can have a battle again soon. <laughs> there you go. You've had a couple of games where the team has lost leads. Now, obviously, against Charlotte, you recaptured the lead. Is there any concern any, or maybe any particular reason? Is it just the other team getting hot as to why leads uh, aren't sticking? Is that just the nature of the NBA? Yeah, I think, obviously, a part of it is it's the NBA, and we're, we're playing against, obviously, extremely good players and teams, regardless of their record. And these guys are NBA players. They're there for a reason. Um Obviously, if we can get off to a start like we did, um, the the carefree 
kind of play, and, and they're obviously, um, I think they were on a back-to-back, maybe. Um, yes, they were. So just a bit, obviously playing a bit more more freely, and obviously, with, especially when you get, I don't know what the lead was, 20-20 or something in the first in the first few minutes, really. Um, and obviously, they, they, the, the telling part of the first half or quarter or whatever you want to, however far it went, was obviously they, they weren't making shots and we can uh, contest and defend and do whatever we want. Eventually, they, they're obviously going to make some shots. So um, there's things, obviously, we can look at and we can try and limit and we can do, do better at. Uh, that's the case with, with every game, obviously. But, um, yeah, obviously glad. I, I think they got a one- or two-point lead at some point and then, obviously, we, we were able to, to finish off pretty strong at the end. So, um, obviously, you never want to... You never want to let a lead go or, or you want to kind of continually try and push it out, whether it be a couple of points at a time or you can go on a little 8-0 run or whatever it is. But obviously in saying that, the, the other team is, is trying to do the, the, the opposite of that as well. So um, we'll, we'll take the win. Obviously, after back-to-back losses, we'll probably would have taken any win. Um, but obviously, yeah, like I said, we'll, we'll look at it and... Um, dissect a little bit and and try and figure out how to keep getting better as this year goes on. You know, we've heard Quinn talk so many times now after so many games and and sometimes on off days, and he does a thing before the game as well. And so over the years, uh, I think even as a media member, I've really absorbed a lot of the messages, probably a lot of what you guys hear to one degree or another. You get in more detail in your film sessions, obviously. But I just got to think that Quinn's got a really different attitude after a 128-126 game. You lost to the Spurs 128-126, but if you'd won 128-126, I think his attitude would be really different than after a 112-102 game. You guys are good enough shooting the ball. I figure if you're only giving up 102 points, you're going to win way more than you lose. Do you find yeah. that, win or lose, that that you can look at the scoreboard and the final number and know what Quinn's going to say when you get to the locker room? I <laughs> like a thousand percent. Um <laughs> Not even necessarily on the score at all. Like it could be 80s, 150, whatever the number. Obviously, if we're giving up 150 and winning by two or something like that, he's he's going to be a little concerned. But um, that's also like given the night. Like if we're shooting well and they're shooting well, like obviously the NBA is the NBA. We get a 128 or whatever it was the other night. So um, yeah, I I actually said to one of our players the other day, I was like, I almost. From like when we're out on court and he he walks out of the office or, or whatever it is from meeting or watching film before practice, um, just like as soon as I see him, I feel like I know what he's going to say. Oh, the mood he's in, or um, the way he walks into the locker room after a game, the the mood or, or whatever. Um, I've like you, I've, I sit next to Boyan in the locker room, so it's like can, Boyan's obviously been here a few years now as well. It's um, you can kind of look at each other and be like, "Oh, shit, we're we're in for one here," or or, or he's going to be really happy. Even even if it is like you said, like a one twenty eight or, or whatever, you can you can feel the way we're playing. And, and obviously, at the end of the day, regardless of the score and, and all those things, he wants us playing the right way. And like you said, if we play the right way and, and do what we do, we obviously usually going to hold teams to a reasonable score and and, and probably win a, a lot of the time. So uh, yeah, that, I can feel it and. Like I said, I can I can almost look at him now, eight years into this thing, and kind of guess w- what he's going to say or, or the mood he's going to be in. 
For those of you listening, that was Joe's Australian accent of the word shoot. <laughs> yeah, shooting. Yeah, shoot. yeah, just, way, just so we, you know. The way, the way we shoot. Yeah, that's just... Sorry, uh, it's 9.20 it's, in the morning. I, no, I no, 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 it's your Australian accent, and so we understand you talk funny in our country. Uh, so <laughs> there's there's no problem there. I've got an, Ameri- I've got an American sunburn. Yeah, yes, you do, Future which is president. why I was thinking at the end of your career, you need to change your name to Joe America. In my career, what? Well, whenever that time is, with the end of your career, you need to change your name to Joe America. No. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> at the end of my career, whenever that is, yeah. I, will be on, I will be on a plane, Qantas, Boeing 737 or whatever they call them. Right. And I will be packing up and heading out of here. Right. And then when you land, you're officially known. You'll stand out in your country, man, if you're known as Joan America. I'm just trying to help you for further income once your big money trails off. You know what I mean? you got to do something the rest of your life. You're going to have another 40, 50 years to live. I'm not that silly, and I wear jazz sweats and chucks. (laughs) <laughs> my, ba- my bank account is full I am doing, I am doing okay So you're saying you're cheap? Is that what you're... <laughs> I, Yeah, well I'm not cheap Because I The one thing I'm happy to spend money on Is is my friends and family And going to dinners And enjoying my time with them Okay. But I do drive a, a Really, really old used F-150 And I wear jazz sweats and chucks. I've actually got Crocs on right now because they were given to me. So, oh, I yeah. saw those yellow Crocs, Joe. You look like Daffy Duck. That, that, well, this is the whole point of this. Like, I I could not care less. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very very happy. So, when you're retired, are you going to stop working out? Are you going to be into the I don't care less mode? Just get a big old gut on you, and you just say whatever. No, his wife will demand it. That, Renee and I have talked about this before. I think I, uh, I definitely won't when I the the first however long it, I don't know how long it takes to not feel good about yourself when uh, you've played prof- or played basketball, played professionally for since I was seventeen. So I'll definitely have a break um, at the start. I said to Renee, I think it'll get to a point where, like, uh, obviously. I enjoy a, a, a quiet beer every now and then, and um, I think it'll get to a point where I'll like wake up one morning and I'll be in my pajamas or shorts or something, and I'll walk, I'll look, I'll see myself in the mirror like when I haven't seen myself for a little while, and I'll be like, oh, it's, shoot. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> oh shoot, it's time to uh, it's time to figure figure this thing out, <laughs> um, but I'll. Uh, I think I don't know, everyone, everyone says, and I've got a lot of ex-professional friends, and um, a lot of them say that they are fitter now or post-career than they ever were in their career. You obviously find different things that you enjoy in terms of fitness or, or getting out there, whether it be things we aren't allowed to do now um, that you have an interest in that you, you couldn't do, obviously. Um or it's just kind of things you pick up with, like school dads or the other friends that you make outside of basketball. And um, yeah, I mean, I'll find something to do. I'm not gonna, I'm not just gonna sit around and 
drink beer and eat donuts all day as much as I would enjoy that. Um, or I'll do that, but I'll still work out um, to, to some extent. And obviously three kids, young kids, I'll be running around with them a lot. And um, yeah, I'll just kind of figure it out as I go. Definitely no uh, plan set in stone for post-career workouts. Well, Joe, Merry Christmas. We'll see you Christmas night on uh, on TV, or some fans will be at the game and see you in person. But uh, enjoy the holidays. Sure and, out, won't it? Yeah. and nothing yeah. else to do. Oh, yeah, by right. Christmas night, everything's done. It will yeah. Be, yeah, There's okay. actually a, an executive who used to be with the club. He left long before you got there. You don't know him. But he, when I was new in town, he said, yeah, we do really well in the Christmas holidays and on Thanksgiving weekend because you got big families here. Everybody gets together, but yeah. they don't really like each other. And so after 24, 36 hours, a couple of meals together, it's time to get out and go to a jazz game and not look each other in the face yeah, and probably. argue politics or whatever else. He says, well, we crush it on those holiday games. Yeah. No, I think it's it'll be fun. So hopefully we uh, – I don't even know who we play. Who do we play on Christmas? Dallas. Dallas? Yeah, don't screw oh, it up, yeah. Joe. Go – you got to get at least one bucket because that's the team you first scored on. Oh, yeah. In, in my <laughs> 627th career game, I should be worried about getting a bucket on the team that I scored my first point on. You should make sure you're not on the group film session with Quinn. Well, maybe the game winner. How about that, the game winner? Uh, yeah, that'd be nice. It'd be a yeah. bit fun. Yeah. All right, thanks, Joe. We appreciate it. Happy appreciate holidays. It. Thanks, guys. Thank yep. you. All right, there is Joe Ingles. They're back at it Thursday night against Minnesota, and then Dallas is here on Christmas night. We're back with What is Trending next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports as DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? Ready. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NFL. Three by two, trip to his left. That's where he looks initially, gets through it, drives the ball down the right seat. Cooper Cup has the catch, middle of the field at the 10, 5, touchdown, L.A. Cooper Cup with his second touchdown of the second half, and the Rams are back on the high side. Hertz is rolling, he's looking, he is firing, it is caught. The Tuesday NFL doubleheader. Actually, they're simultaneous games more than a doubleheader. But a couple of games there, you heard Cooper Cup, who continues to run wild and just rampage through secondaries across the NFL. Nine catches, 136 yards, scores two touchdowns, and the Rams beat the Seahawks 20-10. Rams now 10-4, tied with the Cardinals for the division lead. PK, you were doubting the Cardinals all year. Do they look like the wild card team to you now? The Rams are over that three-game losing streak. They're back, baby, and they are going to handle this. Yeah, I never thought they left. I mean, it's a long season. You lose games. I'm just fascinated that you use rampage as a verb rather than a noun. That was impressive right there. I've never heard that done in the history of my life, and I am old as dirt. So that was something that was uh, just unexpected right off the top of the 7 o'clock hour. So, yeah, I think the Rams are the better team. I've always thought the Rams are the better team. And then they add Beckham and Miller, and it just adds to it. 
At the same time, man, I think the league ought to just do this. Once we get done with the colleges and, and then at this time of year, they've got bowl games that pretty much only the people who have a connection to are interested. I did not watch one second of any college games, but I watched every second of the Rams-Seahawks game. It just seems like it's it, it's it, it's a festive time of year, and I want to watch NFL football. So I think they might have stumbled onto something. I would try now, going forward, henceforth and forever, to have games on Tuesdays like that because I was right there the whole time. So they're done with buys at this point, so you'd be okay with the Tuesday to Sunday turnaround because the players' union predictably will not be okay with that. I get where you're going from the viewership standpoint. Yeah, fans will sign off left and right, man. You're leading a parade there, and you got a long line of fans behind you. How's it any different from playing on a Sunday and then playing Thursday? It's not that different, and the and the, and the players' union, I think they had to agree to that in the CBA, and now they really hate it. But you're right, it's well, not. It's the same amount of time in the turnaround. I don't know, favorite. Minute. Make more. It's all about making money. Well, they'll, yeah. they'll sell your soul for, for money. For more money, right. Uh, the Rams are going to Minnesota and Baltimore the next two weeks, wrap it up with the Niners. So a difficult schedule down the stretch. The, the division isn't guaranteed, but uh, they have, they've made up a lot of ground very quickly, that's for sure. And you know, only the first team gets a bye, so it doesn't yeah. really matter whether you win a division or earn the wild card. I mean, it brackets, I guess, but you got to play the best teams at some point. The Eagles, 27-17 winners over. Oh, one thing before we leave the Rams. How how much uh, should, and I know we can always complain about refs, but wasn't that a flagrant P.I. that didn't get called there on fourth down at the end of the game? And wasn't that an obvious pass interference? I thought it was, yeah. I did. did. Yeah. I don't but know I mean, if they would have won the game. They're down I, a touchdown. I roll blah, blah, blah. with that stuff. You, you tell me bad. when that doesn't occur, and then... I'll rampage through my feelings. Rampage through. I won't go on a rampage. I mean, using that as a verb was just shocking. I've got to admit. Eagles 27-17 over Washington. Eagles 7-7 tied for the last wild card in the NFC. Hurts, efficient, 20 of 26, throwing the ball. 296 yards and a touchdown. And the Eagles win again. Leonard Fournette expected to be placed in injured reserve, missed the rest of the regular season. They're hoping he's back for the playoffs. He's a game changer. Obviously, the Bucs could use him in the postseason. There is uh, no sense messing with him in the regular season. See if he can get healthy for the playoffs. Steelers coach Mike Tomlin told reporters franchise does not regret trading linebacker Melvin Ingram to the Chiefs, who they face this week. We didn't weigh the circumstances. We weighed our circumstances, but also to be quite honest with you and blunt, Melvin no longer wanted to be here. And for us, we prefer volunteers as opposed to hostages. Ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah, pretty, right? Pretty good quote. <laughs> Tomlin. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Lucas doesn't find anybody going to run to the far side. He's a tuck it and go. The 10. Then he'll throw back of the end zone to Jesse Matthews. Touchdown. Aztecs. Lucas back to make a throw. Wide open for a moment. If he got the ball there in the end zone in time. Tyrell Shavers. Touchdown. Aztecs. San Diego State beats Texas San Antonio. They beat UTSA 38-24 in the uh, whatever Frisco Bowl. Both teams... Tropical Smoothie Cafe, come on. Thank you. Both teams finished 12-2, and and Wyoming 
52-38 over Kent State up in Boise. So the Mountain West improves to 4-0 in the bowl season. I did see that the uh, end of the game in Wyoming, they dumped French fries on, on uh, the coach. That was funny. That was good. There's uh, all the people who can do that are pulling that. I don't know. Did they dump a smoothie on? Uh... So they do not. It almost look like Gatorade for Brady oh. Hoke. There's talk because there's the Duke Mayo Bowl. I know, I know. Week, and they're talking about mayo, mayo being in that one. That's disgusting. I was like, that's awful. They were. Yuck. Yes, sir. You started your thought with so. We already oh, got somebody else okay. who does that every yeah. time. Oh. Don't do that. Yeah, I'm in trouble. Uh, one note on that. Kalani said last couple years ago when he got the fries dumped on him, ice cold. They've been sitting out for way too long. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Missouri plays Army in the Armed Forces Bowl. Uh, Missouri running back Tyler Betty, who led the SEC in rushing, is sitting out. He's going to prep for the NFL. Well, so will I. You're going to sit that game out? No interest. Former Ohio State quarterback Jack Miller announced he's transferring to Florida to play for new Gators coach Billy Napier. Miller is a former four-star prospect out of... Yeah, he's out of the Phoenix area, and I think Napier recruited him when he was on ASU staff, so I think that's the connection there. Former USC quarterback and on Slovis. Keaton Slovis will uh, transfer to Pitt. Former Trojan starter figuring to replace Kenny Pickett. With the ACC champs. He's got two years of eligibility left. Yeah, he's out of Phoenix, too, and I have no idea what the connection is. <laughs> they had an offense that showcased a quarterback who's going to the NFL. Can we go with that? I don't know how many guys they have back and all that stuff, but... Maybe so. Yeah, I don't know. Miami announced its football team is in COVID-19 protocols but remains committed to playing in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl against Washington State New Year's Eve. Team had multiple positive tests. Hey, Miami now with their new coach. They're going to play in the Tony Tiger Bowl. I mean, you got to look out for them because they're great. <laughs> well played. <laughs> DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Back out to Tyler, top of the key. Stepped in and then stepped back for three. Goodness gracious, Tyler Hero. Good to see you again. Finds Randall up top. And now it's Fournier. 19 points, leads all scores. Three-pointer, nails it. Evan Fournier with 22. Made four threes, and the Knicks lead by 10. Bottom three. Oh, take that. Splash! Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. That's a home alone reference, by the way. I got it, J.D. I'm getting old, man. I got it. Brunson to the right to Neil Aquina. And back to Brunson against McDaniels. Pulls up off the crossover and hits the foul on jumper. Steps to his right, fires a three. Over Westbrook and cans it. Devin Booker's feeling it here in the third. He's three for three from deep and has 20 points to lead the Suns. Phoenix Suns beat the Lakers 108-90, to the final score. Of course, AD's out for a while. The Lakers are going to be shorthanded here. LeBron does what he does and goes for 34 points and seven boards. But even with Westbrook chipping in for 22, the other three starters scored seven points combined. Not enough juice there, PK. I don't care about the Lakers. I think the Suns are the best team in the league. I was excited to watch that game after the NFL game. I was going to watch the entirety of this game, and I believe the Suns are better than they were last year. A number of reasons that makes them better. Bridges is a better player. 
Aiton's a better player. They didn't have McGee last year. He's given them a huge boost. Uh, Landry Shamet, they didn't have. I mean, he's not a star, but he's a nice role player. I, I believe they're actually better than they were last year. I think they're the best team in the league. McGee in the Hassan Whiteside type role, playing 16 minutes off the bench, 10 points, 10 rebounds. They've been going nuts over Whiteside's rebounding production in limited minutes. McGee's doing the same thing for uh, Phoenix. Those are uh, getting a double double in 16 minutes. Yeah, I mean, they literally didn't have that player on the roster. The Jazz had favors. Now, Whiteside is producing better. I understand that. Uh, But the Suns didn't even have that type of player on the the roster last year. And uh, and I realize the Lakers, they're they're just an average team at best right now. But I was very impressed with the Suns. Minnesota Timberwolves will be here to play the Jazz tomorrow. Mavericks beat the Timberwolves 114-102. to Jalen Brunson led Dallas with 28 points. Those are the Jazz next two opponents. Timberwolves will be here on Thursday. The Mavericks on Saturday. The Christmas Day schedule could be in flux. The Jazz right now are scheduled to play the Mavericks at 8.30, but that is one of the, the, the first and last game of the least important TV windows, so the NBA... Sent out a memo to teams. Woj had it, and the teams that play early and late may have to shuffle their games to fill the middle three time slots if uh, some team is unable to uh, field a team and a game's in jeopardy. So that Jazz Mavericks game could end up being uh, a little earlier instead of being the fifth game of the day. It could end up could in one of the other be time postponed slots. too. I mean, every game is in flux. Why? Why are we signaling that that day? Every game going forward is in flux. Right, but I don't think your game time will change in a, on another day because somebody so j- else's just, game Just your day will change. Okay. Yeah. Not, not that big of a deal. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> or could be postponed. This is the world in which we live in. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver told ESPN's Malik Andrews the league has no plans to suspend its season as COVID-19 surges throughout the league. Says we, of course, have looked at all the options, but frankly, we're having trouble coming up with what the logic would be behind pausing right now. Probably Ooh, got, man, that's Republican of Adam. Probably man. got that question because the <laughs> NHL hit pause on their season. It was in response to that, yeah. Ooh, Adam taking on a different point of view. That's interesting. You're not giving up that money. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't blame him, man. Who wants to give up money? I mean, they're not going to do it until they have to do it, is what it boils down to, and hopefully they don't have to do it. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. Oh, boy. Long pass. Whoa, it went in. <laughs> Shulgin puts his hands up in the air. Uh, that was an alley-oop, but Shulgin's going to take it. <laughs> 31-22. Just take it. Say you meant to shoot it the whole time, right, Coach? You betcha. <laughs> Utah State beating Portland State. Humorous moment and otherwise the total blowout. It's a scheduled win. Portland State's a bad big sky team. And Utah State lit them up. 81-62. As usual, Justin Bean providing a huge stat line. 29 points, 12 rebounds. That's Justin Bean Bryant, man. Get it right. These are just great times now for Aggies. I mean, you got their announcer just laughing. He's just laughing all the time now because every sport's winning, or at least the sports he does. Who is that guy? Scotty G. Who's coach? I don't know. I need more than, yep, out of the voice to uh, know what's going on. 
Utes beat Fresno State 55-50. to Watched a little bit of that game, flipping around PK. The NFL games were on then. Both teams struggling to score there, but the Utes eventually get it done. I wasn't sure either team was going to make it to 50. At halftime, they weren't tracking for that, but they got there, and the Utes get the win and improved 8-4. and four. Over a Fresno State team that was picked to finish in the middle of the Mountain West. It's Coach Lance Beckert, if you were keeping track of him. Who, who'd he coach for? He's a former Utah State assistant. Yep. UVU blowing out Washington 68-52. to The Wolverines improved to 9-3 on the year. BYU and Hawaii tonight to play South Florida. The game's on ESPNU at 7.30. BYU going for win number 10. They're off to a 9-2 start tonight. And Dixie State and Cedar City is in Cedar City to take on Southern Utah. 7 o'clock on ESPN+. What is Trending brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Time now to bring in Taylor Johnson, development coordinator at The Road Home. The holiday mediathon continues. You can donate online at theroadhome.org or at 801-819-7300. Taylor, good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me on today. Thanks for coming on here for a few minutes here to talk about the road home and as development coordinator. I suppose you would like to underline how important this event is right now to the road home year round. You're right. You're right. So right now we are matching donations. Um, Everything will be doubled right now by calling 801-819-7300. And all of the funds raised both yesterday and today are going directly to helping people step out of homelessness supporting the vital programs and services that we provide every day, just like emergency shelter for the hundreds of people who are outside right now in need of shelter. So I think people are familiar with the road home and the emergency shelter. Uh, The road home has been around in one form or another for 97 years. So there's a long track record there. But can you explain what you're doing with supportive housing? What is that when people make a donation and it's in support of the supportive housing? What are you doing for people? Yeah, great question. So at the core of our mission is also housing. We know housing is the solution to homelessness. So supportive housing, um, that's when we have case managers who are able to help and be on site with people who have experienced long-term homelessness. And so in each of our different permanent supportive housing facilities, we have one here just over here on Main Street. Um, But that's for someone who's experienced homelessness for over a year. It's been a long time, and they just need a little bit of extra support um, by our case managers helping get adjusted to living in a single studio apartment style, um, building community, building connections, and getting kind of reacquainted with, with what that looks like. So I was uh, surprised to find out that that's now two-thirds of the people you work with are in that situation. One-third are in the phase where they're in emergency housing. So I, I assume that number just keeps building. You've got long-term relationships with people in supportive housing. We do. So we, we do supportive housing, um, and that's actually a, in the supportive portion, which is the long-term homelessness. That's usually actually a really small percentage of people, but it's the larger percentage um, in our housing programs that we serve each day. And that includes both rapid rehousing for like families and veterans. And then we have a veterans housing program as well. So we, we have housing programs unique to everybody's different situation. As we know, homelessness is not 
just a one-time experience, or sorry, not just a one one um, type of experience. Everybody experiences it in their own unique way, and when they need different support from case managers, from different teams across the spectrum to meet their need and, and have that stability. So it's different for maybe a veteran came to it one way, somebody who aged out of uh, foster care came to it another way, someone with addiction issues has a third experience, and you just keep going down exactly a wide that. range of experiences. Exactly that. And that's what our case managers do is then they work they hear those stories, they connect people with resources, they get people connected with the right program that's best going to suit them and their experience for that long-term stability um, and, and self-sufficiency. If you'd like to help in the holidays, it's obviously cold outside. We all know that. You want to make a difference in somebody's life right now, you can call 801-819-7300. The Huntsman Foundation is matching all donations up to $1 million right now. 801-819-7300. Or you can donate online at theroadhome.org. Taylor, thanks for coming on with us this morning. Thank you so much. This is Unripe. You guys are doing a hell of a job. And I think about where Utah football is today. And the fact that Utah now is playing Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. And I don't know if I've told you that yet, but that's what's what's going on. And I remember back at that time, 35, 36 years ago, where there wasn't even a snowball's chance that Utah would ever go to a Rose Bowl or ever play and compete against the Ohio State Buckeyes. That is unbelievable. Catch Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Kieran. Weekdays from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Yak, you're getting into Christmas music I've never heard before. I don't know where you're digging this stuff up. You've never heard this one before? No. I don't think I have. This is the classic from NSYNC, like late 90s. I missed it. All right, it's time right now. We're going to talk actually in a couple minutes here with uh, Lincoln Kennedy. Uh, radio analyst and Pac-12 network analyst. But right now we'll get started with the question of the day. Hot Takes or Toast is brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Losing your hair, it's 2021 and you don't have to. UFP Hair Restoration offers a range of cutting-edge therapies to restore thick hair permanently. Just text hair to 801-960-3137 for 15% off any hair loss treatment. Or visit www.utahairmd.com. Who's giving or getting Rose Bowl tickets for Christmas? What are some of your better sports-related gifts over the years? It's Christmas time in the city. We're going to be off the next two days, so now is the time to gather around the tree. (laughs) Let's have our Christmas show. I do suspect there are a lot of Rose Bowl ticket gifts coming up for Christmas. Yeah. So I think the people who are giving know, the people who are getting may or may not know. There's probably some surprises, right. uh, but I do know some season ticket holders that uh, 
A mom said that she was gifting a trip to her daughter, and they're going. And for planning purposes, the daughter already knows. So Of course. It won't yeah. be a surprise in, in that case, but in other cases it might be. Well, it was a surprise when she first told her. Oh, yeah. Dan, best sports gift, a fly rod. Not a fly boy, a fly, a fly rod. rod. Yeah, A river runs through it. Let's get out there and start casting in the middle of the stream. Nice ethics, Flyboy. <laughs> Jessica says, I am receiving tickets for my family to go to yeah, Pasadena. Right. Look at me, Mr. <laughs> <Audi duty. laughs> That'll never grow old. Nice ethics, man. Get <laughs> your press conference, Flyboy. Stop, stop. Dave, stop. <laughs> Uh, Steve says, my two favorite teams played in the Fiesta Bowl. My wife got me tickets to that, as well as a three-pack of jazz games. Uh, so Notre Dame's playing the Fiesta Bowl. Who are they playing? Uh, I don't know. He says played past tense, so I don't know if that oh, played previous played, okay. year. Um, the Utes in Pittsburgh? <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago, right? <laughs> but it was awesome. It probably were a lot of Christmas, uh, a lot of Christmas tickets that year. We used to go. Uh, sometimes my family would come out from uh, New Jersey, extended family, and they would go take them to the Fiesta Bowl. I can recall doing that a couple of times, and then I ended up covering it. I went as a fan. Uh, Devils played in it. Played uh, Marcus Dupree in Oklahoma back in like eighty. 381, 82, somewhere in there. That was an exciting game. So Festival was a big deal. Festival actually this year is right before the Rose Bowl. I think it starts at 11. It has been an early morning game different times. It's been primetime too. But it's been it's, all over the map. Yeah. 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 But the granddaddy stays the same. Parked right there in the middle of the afternoon. Yeah. The only, th- the only time it moves is when the Dumb football committee thing makes it. They made it a BCS final one year. I remember it was a night game in Miami sure. played out there, and it was weird. Well, it was <laughs> it was obviously, it's uh, dark SC on the opening kickoff. I'm like, that's not right. SC and, and uh, Texas. SC and Texas, that's another occasion, yeah. Here's a story for you. Jake says, my brother and I each got a ticket to the Mariners game about 18 years ago. My favorite player, Ichiro, hit two solo bombs, and the Mariners won 2-1. to one. His second one nice. hit off the Hit It Here Cafe in right field. I will never forget the chills I got watching him run like a gazelle out to a gazelle out to his position in Area Fifty One. Oh, for sure. I mean, in just terms of hitting, each row is right there with anybody. You named some of the great hitters. You know, obviously Pete Rose is up there. You know, leading the world in hits. But each row, uh, I had an opportunity to see him in Baltimore. When we were up at uh, the Jersey Shore, my wife, uh, we wake up one morning. She says, I want to go to a game. It's 9 o'clock. And uh, the Phillies were out of town. We'd already been to Yankee and Shea Stadium a number of times. So we drove three hours. That's all it was, just three hours. Got there in Baltimore at noon. I was feeling at four of us. I was feeling, uh, feeling my oats on vacation. What's the best seat you got? 350 bucks a piece. What's the second best seat you got? <laughs> and uh, so there were only like a few rows behind. And each row went five for friggin' five that day. I will never forget it. 
five for five, and I swear he was looking at the uh, positions of the guys. If anybody was cheating, like if the center fielder was cheating in, thinking he might dump it into uh, behind second base, Ichiro pop one over his head. That guy was as good as it got with a bat in his hand. And there's obviously been some great hitters. I mean, I never saw DiMaggio or Ted Williams or any of you know those studs from way back. But, man, that, that guy was something. His career numbers are really good, but think how good they would have been if he played in the majors before he was, what, 27, 28. I, mean, I think that's why you have to include what he did in Japan. DJ and PK, it's time to welcome in Lincoln Kennedy, Raiders radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain's state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs or call 877-346-3333. Lincoln, good morning. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's LK. Happy holidays to all you guys and all your listeners, too. So uh, how you guys doing? We're doing well. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to you. Right back at yes, you there. Absolutely. So the start of the uh, holiday season here is yeah. awesome if you love defensive football, but not so much if you like touchdowns. We got 9 <laughs> nothing games. We got 15 19-13, 20-10 on a Tuesday night game. Yeah. Is this the defenses catching up to the offenses late in the season and they got film and teams are meeting in division for the second time? Or is a lot of this COVID guys missing and it's way easier to plug in a defensive guy than an offensive guy and that's helping the defenses? Or is it something else? It's a great point. Both points are, are, are great and, and probably valid if you look into it deeply enough. But I, I think that you know we live in a, a, a time where – there's so much uncertainty. Even the guys that are able to go out there don't really know um, who they're playing with. Because, look, there's a lot of people that don't think there's sports. Is, chemistry is necessary in sports. But in football, it's absolutely essential. A quarterback has got to have a good chemistry with his receivers as well as his offensive line. If you don't, you have a quarterback who's not trusting. He's looking down at the pass rush. He's not really looking down the field. He's trying to take something that's simple and easy uh, just to get out of the, get out of the play and, and, and come away unscathed. Conversely, on the defensive side, you know, you turn a guy loose. You, it doesn't matter where he comes in at or where he plays. You just say, look, go find ball. That's what most defenses do. Um, you know, you've got a little bit more structure in the back end with the coverage and stuff like that. But for the most part, go find ball. Seek ball, find ball. It's a lot simpler, a lot easier to do. You don't necessarily need a whole lot of chemistry there. But it's good when the chemistry happens because defenses play better together. Um, with that being said, you know, to your point, it's, it's anyone's guess what type of game that we're seeing this part of the year. Um, Maybe teams are starting to save themselves, try to get to get to the playoffs as unscathed as possible, uh, even when they have to win a central game. So uh, it, it's really up in the air. It, it can be a, a combination of both of your points. Watching the Raiders, I, I hope you had a uh, refundable and didn't have to pay an exchange fee because they moved the game back a couple of days there. <laughs> well, um, so. it, well, what's funny is that I was in Vegas taping the uh, Silver and Black show for Raiders Network TV and um, when, when the news came down. So I just flew back to Phoenix, which is a 45-minute flight. I yeah. bought a ticket, flew back to Phoenix, and then changed my ticket, which I was supposed to leave for Vegas that day, Friday, go through Detroit, and finally eventually ended up Cleveland that night. Um, I didn't leave until uh, Sunday morning, I think it was, when I, uh, when I left. So um, it, it worked out for me to be able to go back home and see That's my kids uh, another day before I had to go. 
I'm wondering if you thought, wow, that was an impressive comeback, or if you thought, man, they needed an impressive comeback just to beat a depleted Browns team. What's your view on that? Well, any win is a good win. Uh, any loss is a tough loss. Um, the Raiders have been so inconsistent, I didn't really know what we were in for. It looked like they were going to be able to handle themselves easily after the first drive, the way they marched down the field and got a touchdown. But then everything you know, went, went to crap. Um, like it's done many times before, and the inconsistencies. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have the, the a closing drive where Derek Carr throws an interception under the last five minutes. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's, that's it. That's, that seems to be the theme of the season. But the defense goes out there, and they play well for a couple of snaps. They get the ball back uh, to the offense, and Derek does what he can do so well being a veteran quarterback, managing the two-minute clock uh, and, and, and getting down in position for a field goal. And when you have a clutch kicker like Carlson, um, it really helps because you don't have to worry about how much closer you have to get. You just have to get in position to do it. And he worked the clock beautifully. He had some great plays by Foster Moreau. The one time when Foster Moreau acted like he was going to run out of bounds and he faked the team out and he ran it for a couple extra yards and then got out of bounds was absolutely magical, especially after a holding penalty. So, um, you know, this is what this, cap- this offense is capable of. You just haven't seen it consistently throughout the year, and that's the reason why they're 500. I got stuck on the fact that uh, you moved your ticket to Cleveland. You didn't take the uh, extra day for all the tourist destinations in uh, northern Ohio. It's, it's Cleveland in December. So you got three options here. I want you to <laughs> rank them. It is Cleveland in December. You got me there. My brother lived there for a while, so I visited yeah. in multiple seasons. Three options. I'm curious which you would find uh, to be the most fun and which you would uh, go ahead and give the bronze medal to, leaving third place and possibly never do. One, when you're downtown, I mean, you're right by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which blew my mind. It is very well done. I, I thought it was awesome. I am a bigger football fan than I am a music fan, but Canton is not as well done as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. However, it's an hour down the freeway to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, so that's one option. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is another. And then, uh, PK, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Oh, well, yeah, The Christmas Story. I went to that house and checked it all out, too. (laughs) Yeah, the the house they shot the exteriors at, somebody on the cast bought it, remodeled the inside to match... The soundstage, because they shot everything on a soundstage in Toronto. And you could take tours there. And they got a gift shop and visitor thing across the street in another remodeled house. It's like its own little mini economy there. So one, oh, two, well, three. My how third would you... option would probably be the, the Christmas Story house. Okay. But, you know, um, and, and second, I've been to Ken uh, for the, the Hall of Fame a couple, a couple of times. But the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is, is well done. And I do, I do like it. The only thing I was worried about, and, and Brent told me this, is that Saturday when the game was supposed to be played, the weather was, was abysmal. It was, it was foggy. You couldn't see basically your hand in front of your face. And it was jury and overcast. Um, but Monday when they played the game, I mean, when I got to Cleveland, I was surprised because it's the latest I've been in the year at Cleveland and, and haven't, there wasn't any snow on the ground. So uh, the, the day was absolutely gorgeous Monday. Uh, the sun was out all day. It, was, it, it got up, I think, to maybe you know, close to 50 degrees. And then when the sun went down, it got cold. But, I mean, it was absolutely a gorgeous day. I was much to my surprise that Cleveland had that uh, late, that late in December. Yeah, yeah, you can't beat that. I've been in Cleveland for work multiple times, and the weather sucked. I've been there in the summer on just uh, something for to do for fun, and the weather sucked. So, uh, you know, you, <laughs> you, can, you never know what you're going to get. 
we were talking about this the other day, GJ and I. You know, there's a best team in the AFC, and I think that would we say that was the, uh, the Chiefs. And there's always going to be a best team. But is there a dominant team? No, there's not a dominant team because even the hierarchy or better teams in the AFC have flaws. Um, look, you know, for what it's worth, when you take a look at, say, New England and Indianapolis, what Indianapolis did to New England, New England did to Buffalo just doesn't normally happen. You don't, it's not, I wouldn't say it's unheard of to only have to throw the ball maybe a couple of times in order to win. But you usually don't have guys that take over football games where they rush almost for 200 yards on on an opposing team when they load the box. You know, it rarely happens. But, you know, New England did it to Buffalo a few weeks ago. And Buffalo had nine guys in the box. They were loading the box, and they were. And New England was still able to only have to throw it three, four times. And I think in that Indianapolis New England game, Carson Wentz only threw about four times. Uh, but Jonathan Taylor had a, a wonderful day. Um, you're seeing sort of a reemergence of the run and what most people deem as a, a, a passing league or a passing system these days. And it's absolutely essential this time of year because, first of all, for the most, most part, defenses. They, they're, there's poor tackling out there. So as the game wears on, you see a bunch of guys just either hit with a shoulder or don't try to wrap up with their arms because they're too, too tired. And then the running backs, the stronger running backs, are able to take over. And that's one of the reasons why a guy like Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb are having such tremendous years. So the Patriots and Bills are about to play again, second time in three weeks. Do you trust the Bills? People don't like Bill Belichick and that (laughs) scowling mug over there on the sideline. Is he going to crack, you know, just barely almost kind of sort of a smile after another win? You know, what's interesting to me on that part is that people can say what they want about Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, and when given time to prepare for an opponent – they're just effective, and that's just good coaching. I mean, who would ever thunk the system that they would have in place when they, uh, when they played the Bills the last time, that they would be able to run the ball as effectively they did in the conditions? Now, I don't know if it's necessarily going to happen, happen that this time. I think Mac Jones needs to have a bounce-back season, but you know, for a quarterback, uh, his best friend is a run game. And being able to have the run game at his, at his disposal allows him to create a lot more balance in the offense. But for the Bills, your back is against the wall. I think your identity is definitely questioned because you, not too long ago you were viewed as one of the dominants or the favorite teams to win the Super Bowl. Now you can't even beat your, your, your divisional nemesis, you know, much like the Raiders in viewing Kansas City. If you can't dethrone the king, you can't ever be the king. So um, it's got to be up to the Bills to try to even the score. And I don't know what they do game plan-wise because it wasn't like they weren't able to move the ball against New England. They just didn't have you know, as much uh, uh, privilege of scoring. Uh, I think it'll be different this time around, but of course it also depends on the conditions in New England on game day. I'm wondering if you got bad news for my sister, and what I mean by that is she's a long-time Cardinal season ticket holder. You know, I've got my roots there, yeah. and I never thought that they were a 10-2 and two team. I'm not even right. sure they're a 10-4 and four team, but nevertheless, that's where they find themselves at, and I'm wondering... Is this going to be the biggest fall from grace where you thought that they were a shoe-in and then maybe they don't even make it as far as the postseason? Well, I, I think they'll make the postseason. I think they're too far along to really sort of fall that far. I don't think they're going to lose, even though the opponents are taking on like this weekend and Indianapolis Colts is, is a challenge. You know what? 
the Detroit game shows me, it makes more apparent than anything, is what we've seen sort of the theme all season. I mean, the, the Miami Dolphins start off in the hole and they end up winning like six straight, six or seven straight, whatever it is. You didn't, you didn't think that, especially with that inept offense. But, you know, they were able to find a way to get it together. Anybody can be beaten on any day. And, and you throw the records out the window a lot of times. And that's the great thing about when I, I talked to Brent about sports betting. You know, he's like, these spreads, you think you take it for granted, who's the favor and how to bet and stuff like that. But you just never know. Credit the Detroit Lions for throwing all the caution to the wind. Some people thinking they were, you know, slouching so they could get that top pick, uh, take away from Jacksonville or whatever, or keep it from Jacksonville. Um, and they want to win games. I've never been one of those guys, especially in the NFL locker room, where you could you you could coach to lose, or you could play to lose. Everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to win. Doesn't matter. So, um, in response to the Cardinals' question, you know, I think they're still a good, solid team. They've got a number of wide receivers, but now with Hopkins gone, that, that leaves a big, casts a big shadow. Um, Kyler Murray, to me, they're going to have to find a way to work out more plays to get the ball to Zach Ertz. They're trying so hard to get to A.J. Green. It's almost to, uh, to a fault um, that they want to go that way, and I just don't think the overall timing and understanding between Kyler Murray and A.J. Green are there. There are a lot of times where I see his facial reaction after a throw or in a game or after a play where he's expecting A.J. to do something different than he did. And, that again, that goes back to chemistry. It, it takes time to develop. And because a lot of teams don't practice due to COVID and other restrictions, sometimes that timing is hard to get without a, a true offseason. Raider, Raider analyst Lincoln Kennedy joining us here. The Bucks have just been hit hard by injuries. Chris Godwin. Yeah. Uh, leading receiver, ACL, done for the year. Leonard Fournette, done for the regular season. They're hoping that their leading running back can come back for the playoffs, but that's definitely an if right now. Are the Green Bay Packers, in your mind, clearly the number one team as we sit here today? Well, you know, back to the Buccaneers, you know, Brady looked like a grumpy old man first yeah. first time in a long time, right? He did. <laughs> Things that didn't go that way. Like um, it, it's it's any given week anybody can take over that front spot. I think the Green Bay Packers have enough momentum, especially finding ways to win, and that's when you have a capable and savvy quarterback that comes into play. Look, the, the Green Bay Packers could have been playing the Super Bowl last year if they would have managed if Lafleur would have managed the clock a lot better than he did when in the, in the Tampa Bay game. Because there's no reason, in my opinion, that you know quarterback throwing three interceptions. Should that won that football game. Um, but, you know, to me it was poor clock, clock management and poor decision-making that caused them to lose that game. I think they're a lot better off this year, and I think Aaron Rodgers has a lot more say about that. You know, just a savvy veteran quarterback who knows the game through and through. And now he's got a couple of receivers. And when people concentrate on Adams, he can go to uh, Scanley, the, the, the other guy, or, or, or some of his other receivers to make them viable. But um, it, it looks like Green Bay has a strong, and their defense is playing a lot better too, so I think they have a strong chance. You think Urban gets back into coaching at the college level? After you look at the tail of tape, what he's did at the programs that he did, and there's there's always been some shadows that have been cast everywhere he went. If I'm a region, I have a hard time doing it, and the reason why is that this is a man who has to go into kids in people's houses and convince their parents to give their kids up. I don't know if that happens especially when you look at all the things that have that sort of followed him around uh, and the questionable decisions that he made. 
I think it's got to be, I'm not saying that it's never going to happen again, but I think you, you really have to let the dust settle. And we've seen other coaches in the past sort of have to have that, uh, you know, things happen and they, the dust has to settle for a couple of years. You find them at a smaller program, they kind of work their way back up, you know. And, and for what it's worth, if, if I'm Urban Meyer, to be honest with you guys, because there was health concerns in the past, I think I'd be done. I mean, if you want, if you want to live, I, sometimes you can't get it out of your system. I get that. You always have the itch, and, and, and especially when you're coaching. But you talk about the, 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 the scandals, the publicity, the press, everything that's followed you around uh, your career, your coaching career, where you've been, and now this, and now you figure out that if the Jacksonville Jaguars are able to get out of paying him his money, man, just go on the TV. Be easy. You're on a committee we didn't really know much about. <clears throat> we just heard about it in the last couple of days. The Pac-12 yeah. Advisory Committee, former yeah. players. Uh, what What is the main goal there? What do you hope to bring to the table there? What would you like to accomplish? To try to make the Pac-12 more viable in a national presence. How are you going to do that? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> that's what we're trying to figure out. You know, you're, you're up against the popularity of the SEC, the ACC, uh, as well as the Big Ten. And I think the new TV contract is going to come out in a couple of years. So you're trying to make, um, I think it's two years, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say 20, 23 or 24. Um, but what you, what you want to do is you want to try to make the Pac-12 look as tantalizing as some of those other conferences, not only the players and bowl committees, but also to the TV presence. Um, and, and the thing is, is that the way to do it is you, you know, we have to find a way to work with NIL, like a lot of other conferences and schools have done, um, to make, you know, Utah has a great NIL program. And, and, and talk about a program, that, and I hope they have, I wish them the absolute best in, um, in, in, the, in the Rose Bowl. It's absolutely essential that the Pac-12 finds a way to win games, especially in the national presence, um, to, to show, to make themselves look more lucrative. Because you've got recruits that are in the West that are going to the Midwest, the South, and the East. That should not happen. Um, once upon a time, they didn't leave. They played here. So to have Lincoln Riley in the, in the, in the Pac-12 is essential. To have the Pac-12 win bowl games is absolutely essential uh, from going forward. But uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make the Pac-12 more viable, more lucrative, not only to recruits, uh, to coaches, and to overall the presence, the media presence, to show that you know it's, it's a true destination of sorts that you want to go to and you want to send your kids to. I've never gotten why there are so many big division games so early in the season. The conference never gives itself a chance to have uh, Utah, an ASU, a USC, whoever's up, maybe UCLA will be, where it's 8-0 versus 8-0 or 7-1 versus 8-0. They play them so early and they play the cross-division games late. Utah and Oregon is just routinely a November game. Oregon-Washington. I know it's a rivalry because I've lived in the West my whole life. I'm not convinced that most of the country knows that, but if they always played on the first Saturday in November and had a chance to be 8-0 versus 8-0 or 7-1 versus 7-1 or something like that, it would seem to have a little more sizzle. I don't. I don't get that. Well, that's that's the thing that that, that you know, uh, like Martin Hanks, who's the co-commissioner of the, the of the conference, is some of the, one of the things that we're talking about. The rivalry games need to be set up to make bigger. The the issue becomes, and I think there's still the Pac-12 is the only conference that does it. The round robin of nine games, conference games. Uh, that's that becomes the issue because when you're scheduling. You know, you have coaches and athletic directors who put themselves and say, well, you know, I don't want to play SC this early in the season. I want to give us the time to get, get warmed up. But I remember, you know, for the most part, the most of the times that we played SC when I was in Washington was early in September. 
um, whether it was in Los Angeles or Seattle. So, but you, you're right about that Oregon Washington game. The Northwest rivalries were a little bit held a little bit closer to the cup later in the season. But in the SEC, like most notably, you got places like where Alabama's going to play LSU the week before they're playing either, you know. Uh, Tijuana Tech or, or, or some, some school or have the week off before they play in that big game. You don't have the schedule tampering as much in the Pac-12 as you do in other conferences. Got to fly the Citadel out to the old West Coast for some November football. <laughs> hey, don't sleep on the Citadel. <laughs> there you go. Hey, Lincoln, we appreciate the time. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We will talk to you again and enjoy the football. Hey, guys. Happy holidays to you and your fans. And I tell everybody to be safe out there and please don't drink or drive. Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst, join us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David Locke, radio voice of the Jazz, 15 minutes away. Stay with us. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. Frank Schwab joins us from Yahoo Sports. Tyler Huntley, is he going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL at some point next season or the following? Uh, maybe the following, but here's my thing. If I'm the Ravens, my starter plays a certain style. Lamar Jackson, he runs a lot. He's exposed more to injury than most quarterbacks. Now, I'm not trading this guy. Why would I? He's a perfect backup. He's a great backup. So do I think he's a starter next year? I honestly don't just because I don't. But why would the Ravens trade him at this point? But once you get closer to him, when he can become a free agent and all that, like maybe at that point you, you start to make some decisions. But I think he's one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the league just based on what you've seen the last couple of weeks. He really brings something. It's it's actually shocking he didn't get drafted. Based on his skill set and what the NFL, a lot of NFL teams are looking for these days. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. It's the fifth annual Black Friday sale. It's been extended through December at Davis Vision. Tired of glasses or contacts? Get LASIK now and save $1,400. There are limited spots available, so act now. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. Question of the day. Best sports theme Christmas gift you've given or received? And who's getting Rose Bowl tickets for Christmas? PK, a little twist on this. David says, my son and I are going to the Cotton Bowl to see Alabama play Cincinnati. Most awesome game I will have ever seen in person. How do you know? <laughs> because he says later, uh, I'm a lifelong Alabama fan. Somebody went oh, at him course. with basically uh, that. Hey, so, I'm, I, of course you are. I'm a, I'm a, the, the lifetime of Nick Saban's tenure at Alabama, I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler went back at them. How do you know the game's going to turn out to be awesome? I bet Alabama wins saying. forty-nine to ten. Not a most awesome game, in my opinion. I hope I'm wrong. It's a good game for you and your son, but I wouldn't bet on it. And oh, David, yeah. David says I hope it's forty-nine ten Bama because I'm a lifer. Well, I guess then that's uh, something that will be awesome for you if your team wins. Whether it's by one point or forty, I mean, the rest of us, if it's a forty-point blowout, click. But if you're a fan of that particular team that's winning by forty, you you'll think it's awesome. So I understand where he's coming from there. There is a long history of semifinal blowouts. There have been a lot of them. I'm a I'm a lifelong Alabama fan too. I go back to Joe Namath. Are you kidding? Pennsylvania's just right down the street from me. That's where he grew up. (laughs) Nice, Joe Namath. How old would that make you right now? Be like seventy something. Joe Namath? No, you, you could be 10 years old and be a lifelong fan of Joe Namath. What are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Well, that would make you 60. <laughs> that would make you 65. 
you could be 10 years old and be a lifelong fan of Joe Namath. I was a lifelong fan of Willie Mays, and he was done before I ever saw him play. I don't know what you're talking about there. You need to remember Joe playing at Alabama. Come on now. That's not true. I don't remember Willie Mays playing for the New York Giants. We will commence with this in just a moment. But first, it's time to welcome in Melissa Broderick, Director of Supporting Housing Services at the Road Home. Melissa, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm sorry you had to hear that, Melissa. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> All right. So the Road Home, the Mediathon, it continues right now. You've got people calling and making donations at 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300, and at theroadhome.org. As Director of Supporting Supportive Housing Services, what do you do? What do the supportive housing services look like for the Road Home right now? Yeah, so the Road Home, we have many different housing programs, and they all come with some sort of case management. And uh, and depending on the program, we bring in whatever services are needed for the folks that are in our housing. So sometimes that's meals, sometimes that's doctor's appointments. We have all kinds of goals we're working on with our folks, and our great case managers are just doing that day day in and day out. There are people who are familiar with the uh, emergency overnight shelters, the one that used to be downtown. Uh, you've got the new facility in South Salt Lake, and you've got the family center down in Midvale. But there are other properties as well, Palmer Court, Wendell Apartments, the Magnolia. How do those all figure into your housing? What do they, what do they look like? How do they work? Yeah, first, so what I do is I oversee all the services that are in the housing programs you just mentioned, the Magnolia, Palmer, Wendell. And then we have some scattered sites. Uh, places where that means folks are living in the community in an apartment and we bring the services to them. So the shelters, they've got, we've got about 60 housing-focused case managers that help folks that are in the shelters apply for the programs they qualify for, and then they come over to the services side and they move into their apartment and we assign them a case manager and we start working on the things they want to work on. So when people make a donation right now at theroadhome.org or at 801-819-7300, they're supporting the overnight shelters, but they're supporting all these supportive services as well. That's right. Let me give you an example. A $32 donation will provide one night of emergency shelter for an individual. Uh, $45 covers an application fee. So we're always applying to apartments with folks, and we need that, the, the, the application fees. And $1,000 provides two and a half months of housing support for an individual, which is really awesome. You can pick up the phone right now, 801-819-7300, or you can donate online at theroadhome.org. Make somebody's Christmas a little brighter. Theroadhome.org or 801-819-7300. Melissa, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. DJ and PK, David Locks, coming up next. Time to welcome in David Locke right now, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Smart Rain's state-of-the-art smart irrigation controller helps with first-class water management. Visit smartrain.net to learn how to save 30 to 50% on your commercial property's water costs. Or call 877-346-3333. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? We are doing well. How are you? I'm great. I was just, I have a question for you guys, football. I was just listening to a Locked On podcast, and the guy, Old Smith, was talking about the SEC and how everyone's gone to this 3-2-6 defense, and it's causing recruiting issues because there just aren't that many athletes that fit it. Um, and it's all in reaction, obviously, to Alabama and what Nick Saban's done. Is that true for Utah and BYU as well? 
Uh, Kyle has said that they are sticking primarily with a 4-2-5. So I guess the answer would be no. Okay, and then my second question was, does BYU have to change schemes because of the personnel of the Big 12, or is it just not that good a conference so I don't worry about it? PK, you want to handle that one? Yeah, I think that's to be decided because I think that there's a lot of unknowns. You know, I've talked the coaches that they're aware of all the stuff that they have to be prepared for because that's what they're recruiting for right now today. And obviously, if you go on missions, these kids are going to be playing in the Big Twelve. They won't even experience life as an independent. So there's I don't want to say unknowns. But there's a lot of stuff out there that they have to be prepared for, and they're doing their best to prepare for it. But yet, a lot of, in some situations, you, you know, you can prepare. It's like Bronco used to say, I would always think that, okay, this is how the game is going to be played, a particular game given that week. And I learned, then when I get in the game, the stuff that I thought – yeah, that's partially true, but then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that I need to be prepared for that I don't even know what it is, but yet I've still got to prepare for it. And I think that's what BYU is going to face. I think the league is going to be a pretty good football league, particularly when you factor in the new schools. I think we're te- we tend to look at the Big 12. Oh, Texas and Oklahoma are leaving, so who do you have? You have Oklahoma State, you have Baylor, and then you have a bunch of maybe on a given year, Texas Tech might be good, Kansas State might be good, Iowa State might be good, and that might be all true, but I also think this got to factor in the schools that they're bringing in, and right now, two or three of those schools are really good in football, so I actually think it's going to be a difficult adjustment, and there's going to be a lot of stuff that they need to be aware of, and some of the stuff they don't even know right now that they need to be aware of it. I think all that's true, David, and I think the other thing is that the traditional you're a line you're a defensive lineman you're a linebacker you're a safety you're a corner that's been blurred for a while and it's been blurred at Utah and BYU because they were in the same league uh, with New Mexico and in the case of BYU they were playing San Diego State uh, well, I guess Utah did too this year. And so these schools that have a history of playing the three-three-five, and Bronco did this when he was at BYU. Uh, they they have you know they have all kinds of different names at different schools, the Rover back or whatever. But basically, what you have is someone who has the combo skills of a linebacker and a strong safety. You're good against the run, but you've got the speed to play in coverage. You basically have to find the the Kristaps Porzingis unicorn type player where you can cover a receiver in the slot. The tight end are morphing into receivers. So do you match up with a tight end? So you have to find these guys with unique skill sets. You can call them whatever position you want, and you can say you've got you know, six defensive backs or four or five, but what you really have is a guy who's fast enough to cover in space but can also play the run and take on a bigger blocker and shed him and make a play. All right, my final question. This guy was really interesting. His other thing was about recruiting. He said, hey, five-star recruits, any of us could go to any high school game anywhere in the country, see a five-star recruit, it'll be abundantly obvious to us. Three and four-star recruits is all a joke. It has to do with whether the coach understands how to use the player in their system. Are team systems that different from one to another that's accurate? Oh, 
yeah, systems could be different. I think the bigger thing in assessing high school kids is how much talent they have around them because with open enrollment, kids transferring, elite private schools in some portions of the country, not so much here, but in other places, you see high school teams that are totally loaded, and it makes everybody, especially the quarterback, look better than they are when the talent is even. I think that's a big part of the Jake Heap story. His high school team is loaded. Oh, interesting. All right. All right. Thank you, guys. Now to the Utah Jazz. It Next is, week I get my Rose Bowl preview, right? Sure, absolutely. <laughs> it has not been a uh, glorious stretch because Jazz fans look at an eight-game win streak and think that's great, but as soon as the two losses come, they overshadow the other eight. But you look at how the Suns and the Warriors are winning. <laughs> if you're not playing each other, and with a lot of teams around 500 – the only way for the elite teams to really remind their fan base we're great is to put a long string of wins together, isn't it? Until they play each other head-to-head? Yeah, I mean, Phoenix is really great right now, and I'm not surprised by this at all. I, in my preseason predictions, I had Phoenix a considerable notch above everyone else in the West, and I actually think that they are a considerable notch above everyone else in the West right now. They're really they're, they're playing great basketball. They're dominating. They're, they're hammering people. They're not relenting. They're, they're really impressive. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you also, like, you know, right, like, we use 538 or one of these other metrics. So the Utah Jazz play, you know, Minnesota on Wednesday, on Thursday, and what is our chance of winning? 70, 70%, you think? 75%? Right? Wouldn't that probably be the number? It's high. But if your chance to win 70% of the time, you lose a bunch. Then, you know, particularly we're having a tendency to go put ourselves into a position in which the game, the sample size of the game gets smaller and smaller, and then some pretty wild plays have come back to get us here recently, and they'll go the other way eventually. But, um, you know, that's, that's it. Right? You just, yeah, I guess you can, it's pretty unusual to go win eight or nine or ten in a row. You have to be pretty dominant. And so we're seeing the Warriors and the Suns and the Jazz do it, but it's a pretty hard task to live that one. Yeah, I've always felt that for sure. Once you get over 10, I've been impressed with every win streak. I think it's re- extremely hard to do. A couple of things that have we've seen with the Jazz as far as the games is uh, losing big leads. Uh, is that anything that can be concerned about, or is it virtually just life in the NBA, so it's going to happen? Can I go with both on that, PK? Because, I mean, Terry was here the other night, hits three straight threes, right? If now that our, yeah. everyone's playing threes, Suddenly, if you haven't scored on two possessions, that's a 9-0 run, and then there's all sorts of momentum. And so, I think that is part of the NBA. I do think that we're that we are a little culpable, though. I think there's a tendency to relax. I have my personal thing that I think I see every night, but this is becoming. If I'm really honest about my own analysis, I think a little bit this is becoming that it's just my hot button, and now I think I see it all the time. Right? We, we, you know, you can decide whatever it is in life. You know, so-and-so can't drive, and then every time you see a bad driver, you forget about the 73 good ones you saw, and you just say, oh, look, they can't drive. You know, so my thing about us is that we have so many offensive players. It's why we're the best offensive team in the league. So this is a good and a bad, but there just are not enough possessions to go around. And I just feel like at some point when we get ahead, at some point in the game, we get a little bit my turny. And when we get my turny, the ball stops moving, and when – we do that, and other guys are frustrated because somebody just played my turn in our defense, and we just lose our edge. So that's that's my take on where it is. I don't actually have a problem with it. I kind of think it's real, and 
um, understandable, and I don't think it's selfish or anything of that sort. The fact of the matter is that most of the guys on our roster have been valued throughout life by how many points they score per game, and they're used to that, and they still want to do that. And, um, you know, nobody wants to run up. Nobody goes to play basketball. Everyone loves hoops, but nobody goes to play basketball to run up and down the floor four times and play defense and not touch the ball. And so when that happens, after a few minutes, you go take your shot, whether it's entirely in the flow of the offense or not. I guess the thing I'm always seeing in games is that the Jazz, when they lose the edge, maybe it's because they are my tourney, and, and so it, they lose the edge a little bit. When they start giving up rebounds and they start giving up transition points and they start giving up 30 and 35-point quarters, I'm thinking that's the only way you guys are going to get beat. You are so good offensively that if you just hold people to 100, 105 points, really anything under 110, you're going to win. It's the same thing that's happened to the Suns. They're undefeated when they hold teams under 110 points. So if you just play defense, you're going to be fine. And if you don't get caught with the second shots and the transition buckets, people aren't going to score on you because of Rudy and everybody else is pressing up on the three-point line. It seems like a pretty simple recipe because they're so good, but it seems like a recipe that they just can't cook up. Yeah, I mean, we're not as dominant. Last year, we just didn't lose lead. I think we were, what, 41-4 and four if we let going in the fourth or something crazy. Um, you know, maybe even 41-2. and two. Um, And you didn't lose at home, and you didn't lose below 500 teams. That's all because you're an elite defensive team, right? But when you're an elite defensive team, you come out and you just beat people like that. We were an elite defensive team against Charlotte the other night. You know, that was – it was interesting, you know – the numbers are crazy. We had the third best shot quality we've had in any game all year long at Charlotte. Just didn't make it. So this is that's the turn. That's what you're looking for. That's the little. And it's not toughness. I don't like that. I don't really like that phrase because I don't really know what it means. But there is an element where you can be difficult to play. And I thought last year we were really difficult to play. We have been for a while. I'm not sure this year we're as. Like, I don't think you feel like you're getting pounded quite the same way by us as you did. You know, maybe it's the onslaught of offense and you're just like, holy crap. Like, I guess those teams that lost by 20 sure didn't feel like that was a lot of fun. Um, so maybe that's not fair. But it, there's, a, there's a level where I just felt like teams are getting to kind of play their game against us and it works better than them in beating them. Where in some years past, I felt like teams were blown out of their game and they couldn't play the way they wanted to and they looked uncomfortable all night and then we blew them out. And there's a little subtle difference to that. I might be totally fabricating that in my head. I agree with you on the Suns, thinking that they right now are the best team in the West, which would probably most likely put them the best team in the NBA. And watching them, I saw them watch the uh, play against the Lakers the entire game, and, and I definitely think they're better than last year. I'm wondering, what does Phoenix have that the Jazz don't? Maybe Chris Paul right now unbelievable veteran leadership. Like, we don't, I don't think we have that. People would assume Mike Conley. So what's the difference? Um, that's not Mike's personality at all um, to do that. I mean, that's just not, that's just not who he is. So that would be the, I mean, that's just not, Mike's not that guy. That's where Chris Paul uh, has an edge to him, which makes him unlikable for a lot of fans. But that's a really part important part of the equation in Phoenix right now. 
Sorry, say that again. I didn't hear you. I, I wondered specifically what you were getting at and the difference in the two. And I said Chris Paul has an edge to him, and people see it in the game, and I think it's why a lot of people don't like Chris Paul. And maybe sometimes why his teammates don't like Chris Paul. But is that edge that he has a really important part of the equation in Phoenix right now? Yeah, I think it's everything. I think that's what Chris Paul is doing right now is dominating the culture of that team and their following. You saw when Devin Booker went out that they just stayed in that mode, in that mode, in that mode the whole way. It's, it's really awesome. And I didn't know if it was going to hold this year because of what you're talking about. Every team that's ever had Chris Paul the second year hate him so much that they don't play hard. This has been the exact opposite. Whatever Monty Williams, whatever they're doing. And Mikel Bridges is better. Aiton's better. And Devin Booker's better this year. They're, they're loaded. When PK was selling uh, the Suns earlier in the show about how good they are, even though they're close with the Warriors record-wise, they're the best team. One thing he went to was the acquisition of uh, of McGee, and that really he's in a Hassan Whiteside role where big production in limited minutes, but having that second big to run in there, most teams can't match up with it. It becomes a big advantage. We saw that earlier in Favors' career when he was healthy and he was just feasting on second-string centers. We're seeing some of that with Whiteside, and is Phoenix really benefiting from that as well? You know, Phoenix, here's the one that I'm really surprised by on Phoenix is that, you know, if you look at their numbers last year, Dario Saric was vital to their success. And if you look over the last few years, when Chris Paul has been at his absolute best has been when, um, is when he has um, been able to play with a small, like Danilo Gallinari has been, um, was the, was the uh, number one pick and roll combo. And I think Dario Saric was the number one pick and roll combo the year, the next year. So those two circumstances, and they don't have that this year. Kaminsky actually was playing really well, but now he's out, Saric is out. So I, I've been surprised that that hasn't hurt them at all. Yeah, I, I think that uh, McGee gives him a, a certain element that they didn't have from the defensive standpoint. I think they're a lot like the Jazz in terms of their offense. I mean, they can really light it up but they needed somebody who's going to do the junkyard dog stuff. And those other two guys are more finesse guys, where McGee is more of a banger. And so I think that's that's been the difference, uh, or not the difference, but it's been a difference that has allowed them to be better. I mean, that's just my observation, so take it for what it's worth. So there's something going on in the league right now, though, from a big picture standpoint, that bigs who dunk have become more important than ever before. Um so the new rule changes and the trends of the league a little bit are the following. So guys are getting a free throw line less. You've heard about all that. Free throws are down. So, so you know, Bradley Beal is taking eight free throws a game, suddenly taking four. Guys who are taking six are taking three. Trey Young's taking, you know, five. And so their efficiency is way down because of that. Then part two of it is that rim shots are down. The amount of shots being taken at the rim are, are way down just because of the Brook Lopez defense and Milwaukee and what everyone's doing. And so the next, so what that has done is meant that rim shot, the free throw, the lack of free throws makes rim shots actually more important because they're so efficient. And then the lack of rim shots overall is making bigs who can actually get to the basket and dunk way more important. So if you look at teams that are surprising this year and playing better than everyone thought they would, they all have that guy, Jared Allen in Cleveland, JaVel McGee is now that guy that we're talking about in, in Phoenix. 
And it's really, you know, if you start looking at the Lakers, what they're badly missing, it's what the Clippers are missing, Zubak's not doing as well as others. So those type of players are really, really important right now and are overvalued, are, are, have more value than anyone realized in the league. They're the money ball play right now in the league. Yeah. He's David Locke. David, we want to hit you with a question of the day. All right. Best sports-oriented Christmas gift you've given or received? Maybe that, like, vibrating football game that we had when we were kids. Or the Mattel Electronic very first ever, like, handheld video game. I'm going old school. That is old school. When I was a kid, yeah. uh, my uh, my grandparents, and I don't know why, because it did not, it did not and I guess it was because of us. It was one of those things where my grandparents got a gift that was really for us. But do you remember the hockey game and the players? You put the players on the metal peg, and you had the handle, and you moved them up. It's oh, yeah. kind of like yeah, yeah. foosball, except you were off the end of well, the, behind the well, goal. Strong. Yeah, yeah. They, they got that, and I went. There's yeah, I went nuts on that thing. Yeah, I played that thing on stuff. You know, I love electronic football, but I don't know why. I could never really figure it out how to play it. But it sure was fun. It was loud. It was great. <laughs> it was loud. Thank you, David. We appreciate it. Merry Christmas. Yeah, All right. Appreciate it. Here's David Locke. His weekly visit right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined right now by Representative Steve Eliasson. Joining us to talk about the road home, the Holiday Radiothon is underway. You can make a donation right now by calling 801-819-7300, or you can go online at theroadhome.org. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So you have been a fixture at the road home for a long time. How did you bond with the road home? What did they, what did they say or do? What did you see or hear that made you think, I really need to uh, invest my time in this place? Great question. I was actually uh, a Boy Scout, and our, our our scoutmaster took us down to feed the homeless under Four South, and we had to go into the shelter to get some water or something. And you know, it was kind of like Buddha being let out of the temple. I'm like, wow, there's there's a lot of uh, you know people being helped here. And then in high school, I did a, a service project with uh, the Road Home. And then just found an opportunity to get involved with the uh, a committee and volunteer. And I, I, I think I've been on the board for pushing involved one way or another for 20 years. So I've, I've had a front row seat to the great work they do helping people step out of homelessness and back into our community. People hear the road home and I think they think of the building, which is no longer standing, and they think of emergency overnight services. There's been a big trend towards supportive housing in that. What are the changes you've seen in the last 20 years? And the people who are donating, how are they going to be helping these changes? Yeah, that's a great question. So the, the Road Home, uh, of course, has emergency shelter. Uh, last night, there were nearly 900 people in emergency shelter, which was about 100 more than the night before. Um, but they help people step out of homelessness and back into the community in, in terms of housing vouchers, uh, permanent supportive housing, uh, wraparound case services. And so last year they helped uh, nearly 4,500 people. And a really interesting fact is that about um, 96% of the people that they help get into housing stay housed and don't come back to the shelter. And that's uh, a lot of people when they see maybe somebody on the street, that's kind of what they think of when they think of the homeless. And, and that's a component of it. 
but a lot of times it's the family who just, you know, lost their apartment and can't afford a new one, uh, don't have, you know, family nearby. The road home is a place that can help them uh, bridge that gap between the streets and a home they can call their own. I'm curious the long-term impact we're making on the homeless. And as a guy who's been involved in state government for a long time as a state representative, how do you measure that? How much do you hold the service providers accountable? And how much do you look at what's happening in society, whether it's veterans, addiction issues, kids? I think this is wildly underestimated by the public, but the number of kids aging out of foster care every year, and there's surveys that say about half of them, are going to end up homeless. Those are also issues that have to be addressed. And just looking at the service provider, you're not getting the whole point and you're not addressing the whole issue. Yeah, it's it's a really good question. It's an issue legislatively that I've worked on for years and have a bill this coming session to continue to try to improve uh, services for uh, people in homelessness. So often these individuals have had a, a, a difficult background in terms of uh, trauma, addiction, and mental health issues. And the road home uh, tries to successfully connect many of those individuals to those types of services that help get to some of the root causes behind homelessness. Um, the you know some people say, well, this is just you know uh, maybe their fault, and so we're not going to help them. But the reality is, is that, uh, as I've sat down with many homeless people over the years, I'll, I'll give you one example. <clears throat> Myself and Governor Cox, the lieutenant governor at the time, went out and just uh, visited with homeless people. We didn't tell them who we were. And we met a young man staying in the shelter who, was, he was a teenager, and his father had uh, a mental illness and disappeared, uh, no mother around. And it was a December night, you know, single-digit temperatures, and he, he sought shelter and connection to resources. So it's effectively the safety net of society. We have a long ways to go in terms of improving mental health resources, uh, addressing domestic violence. There's a lot of things to do. It is one of the most complex issues I've ever uh, engaged in. Um, but it doesn't mean that we stop trying. And in the meantime... A road home gives people hope and uh, a hand up instead of just a hand out to help them, um, you know, first seek housing and all those other resources to the extent they're willing to uh, address some of those other difficult issues they face. And you can support The Road Home online right now with a donation at theroadhome.org, or you can call 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300. The Huntsman Foundation is matching donations up to $1 million, so whatever you give will be doubled, 801-819-7300. Steve, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Take care. DJ and PK. Prepping for the holidays, zero res can help you clean up. Before and after the festivities, keep your carpets clean well into 2022. Give us a jingle by calling 801-288-9376 or booking online at ZeroResSaltLake.com or if you're up north at ZeroResDavisWeber.com. Question of the morning. Who's giving or getting Rose Bowl tickets for Christmas? What are some of the better sports-related gifts you've given or received over the years? Yeah, what's the best sports gift you've given, honey? She doesn't really want sports gifts. So what? 
<laughs> Here, honey, here's a glove, here's a basketball. <laughs> the kind of stuff I used to give my parents when I was a kid. Hey, Mom, you want a baseball glove? <laughs> it doesn't fit you? I'll take it, thanks. You should go out to a bees game, and you never know. You might catch a foul ball. you got to be prepared. Hilarious. <laughs> now, your wife is a much bigger sports fan. Best Christmas gift you've given her? Like, give her uh, golf clubs or something? She's a big uh, golfer. Best Christmas gift? Yeah, I can't really discuss that on the best air. Best sports-related but... <laughs> Christmas gift. Just can't discuss it because I don't want to hear it. <laughs> You you didn't say best sports. Second reference, it was implied. (laughs) You're a writer. You know know all about that. That's why you laughed harder. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm I'm trying to think. You know, she's way into golf. Yeah. And uh, so that's that's been an area that has allowed me to not have as much headache as far as, oh, my gosh, what am I going to get this year? You know, because it's always, what are you going to get her? Uh, Because I have like zero, zero fashion taste whatsoever. I'm with you. That's a real (laughs) trouble area to step into. I've tried. It doesn't go that well. Yeah, I know. She plays along, but we both know I ruined Christmas for everybody. I got to the point where I used to go to the mall and just... I mean, like dreading it. I'd rather mm-hmm. a root, root canal yeah. and go to the mall. What am I going to do? I'm just walking. You know, it's 90 minutes into it, and I haven't gotten a thing. And all I'm doing is wasting time. And uh, I hate doing that. Uh, unless I, you know, if I'm enjoying what I'm doing, then I'm okay wasting time. But if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, I don't like to waste time, right? So I used to just say, this is ridiculous. Just pick up some stuff and make sure you have the receipts because you're going to take it back anyway, right? So don't stress over it. Get something. Oh, this sweater looks nice. I mean, it may look like just like the worst things ever to her, but to me, what the heck? So, but anyway, I've been able to get some golf apparel or golf-related gifts that has really eased the burden uh, for me. So that has been a blessing that I can do that, or whatever it might be. There's all sorts of accessories that you can get. Yep. And I think this year she's going to open like a, a – I got her some, some stuff beyond golf. Uh, but I've got her some just some golf accessories to put on your bag or whatever, and that's helped. Okay, so for next year, or maybe for her birthday when it comes up, or maybe you use it for you know one of the other holidays, anniversary gift, Valentine's Day, whatever. That course that they uh, the quarterback competition they had up in Montana that we we're all fascinated by last summer. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, take a trip up there, play that course. That'd be awesome. Experiences over things, PK. Anytime you can shift a gift to an experience over a thing, you two road tripping to Montana in the summer and playing that course, that'd be a good yeah. time. Okay, and I've done that. Uh, on I, that course? I, or no, other no, places? No, 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 not on yeah. that one, no. I've never actually been to Montana. Uh, but I have done that. You can't do it this time of year, obviously. Her birthday's in the summer. Uh, the one year I did, they arranged an entire trip to uh, Palm Springs, and it was super cool because literally on her birthday, so we're going to fly out the morning of her birthday, right? We got like a 6.30 flight, and I set it up to have it go through Phoenix, 
and I set it up to have like a two-hour layover. And I did that on purpose because then I got in touch with her mother, and I said, hey, here's the deal. Uh, we'll come out past security and meet us at this one particular restaurant. I, that We'd been to Phoenix Airport a hundred times, right? And so it was all set up. She said, that's a great idea. So she did it literally on her birthday. And we walk in and um, they go to seat. I said, and I told the gal, somebody's already waiting for us. And my wife didn't know it. So we walk up to the seat, where our table where we're going to have breakfast because we've got time. And there's my mother-in-law sitting there. And it was awesome. Yeah, so Winner. The, yeah, the two of them. So my mother-in-law got to see my wife on her birthday. And my wife was totally unprepared, surprised for it, 100%. You're the hero. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was really proud of myself for doing that. And then we flew out. We still got into Palm Springs by, you know, like uh, uh, 11 o'clock in the morning because it was so early. And when we were walking towards security, I knew my mother-in-law would slip me a something, you know, a little something. something, something. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and a payday. Had a kid. <laughs> Because my mother-in-law had a huge heart for her daughter. I, I don't I don't think that I've ever been around someone and watched them love a child the way my mother-in-law loved my wife. I can I can honestly say that. There are times she drove me nuts, but not too bad. But the love, especially now that she's deceased and, you know, that this portion is over, I've been able to reflect upon that. And the love that she showed her daughter was just what, uh, a classic example of what a parent should feel about her child to the point the child could do no wrong under any circumstance, uh, which was and not that my wife was doing wrong on, under circumstances anyway, so it didn't really matter. But that that was that was a great and it worked well because my my wife's birthday's in June. Right. So that was that was pretty awesome. Who's giving getting Rose Bowl tickets for Christmas? What are some of your better sports related gifts over the years? Robbie says, I'm surprised my kids on I'm surprising my kids on Christmas Day with Rose Bowl tickets. They are going to freak. Three ex, three exclamation points. I can't yeah. wait to see the look on their faces. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's so obvious this year. The Rose Bowl, the granddaddy. I mean, come on. This is something that's going to be along the Wasatch Front on Christmas morning. I don't think that he's going to be the only one doing it. It just screamed, this is what we're going to do. Parents everywhere are thinking if your kid is any form of a Ute fan, this would be the ultimate. This is the greatest game they've ever played in. This will be the best moment. All that stuff. And I don't think it's any uh, hyperbole by me saying that. No, I don't. Because I, I've been saying it for years that once the Utes experienced it, it would be incredible. So I, Because I did it. And I talked about it. And when the time came and we knew it was going to come at some point, I actually think it came quicker than I thought it was going to come, which is why it's the best accomplishment that this football program has ever done. Recognizing, yeah, I'm 100% Pac-10, Pac-12 bias. I get that. Everybody's got biases. I don't claim that I don't have biases because I think that's ridiculous. But having been there on that day, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be spectacular. So I think there's going to be a lot of people doing it. I understand that uh, the weather forecast leading up, uh, is a lot of rain. Hopefully, when we get to that day, that we're done with that stuff. That would be good. The rare rainy Rose Bowl. That that would not be good. It's uh, happened, yeah. but it doesn't happen very often. I must block those memories out because I don't recall 
doing that. I'm sure it has. I mean, statistically, it's got to do it at some point. But I was just looking this morning. I was looking in the Daily Breeze on their website, and they're talking about a whole bunch of storms coming here in the next couple of days, lasting through Christmas and going into next week. Now, we still are a decent way away away from the actual game of January 1st, so it's hard to predict that far out. But between now and then, leading up to then, it seems like there's a fair amount of rain. So I'm hoping that uh, that bodes well that when we get to the actual January 1st, that there's no rain and it's a sunny day. I mean, the parade and everything, come on. It's history, man. It's, it's, it's tradition, I should say. It's, it's part of what... Uh, what we look for, at least I do, I look forward to the parade and I look forward to the game every single year. U State Iceman just tweeted at us, Jack Dunbar, he says, I gave her a Utah State football jersey that had her name on the back of it. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. I've gotten a couple jerseys over the years as gifts. I got a Ladanian Tomlinson when he was setting the NFL uh, oh, yeah. records favor, left and yeah. right. And I got a junior sale when he was at the top of his game. That boy is popular as popular athletes go in San Diego. Now Junior Seau, because he went to high school in San Diego, went up to USC, came back to the Chargers, wildly popular. I mean, there there aren't many people like Tony Gwynn's the guy. He's the guy, but man, Junior would be one A. They would they would probably be the two most popular. And there have been a lot of a lot of popular athletes through there, but they're they're right at the top. Well, and then the, I'm hoping Honey's listening. She needs to get your Tony <laughs> Gwynn jersey. You already got the second most. Now we need to get the most. If Tony is the most popular San Diego State sports figure, then you need to you need to have a Tony Gwynn jersey, Mister Padre. Absolutely, no question about it. Yak, let's pitch in and get him a, a next year. Get him a a Tony Gwynn jersey. We could probably accomplish that. Now we we just have to. Do you want the more modern, where they incorporated blue, or do you want the brown and say, yellow? <laughs> I, I think I know the answer to this question. What would the answer be, Yak? I think it's the brown and yellow. <laughs> Am I wrong? Bring the Brown back was wildly popular this what year. What about you, though? But the thing about Tony, I, I do like the Brown more, but Tony didn't play in the Brown era. Well, maybe he did. Maybe like his first two years he did. And then he would have worn the uh, the blue pinstripes most of his career. So I, I would be thrilled with either, to be honest, though. Oh, for sure. Tony I mean, Tony Gwynn. Like, I mean, Tony's the man. I mean, I watched him yeah. play college basketball at San Diego State. Uh, so that was that was a good time. Yeah, and he stayed loyal to the team. Oh, yeah. I, I actually got my wife a Padre jersey, the ones that they wear on Sunday, mm-hmm. the military ones, the yeah. home Sunday the games. the camouflage. And she was talking about how she liked it. One time I had a game on, and we were watching it on a Sunday. And she said, oh, that looks really cool. So I went and got it. <laughs> when, uh, when I was a kid, it started early. The, the, the stadium, when it was built – They've torn it down now. But when it was built, it, it seated for like 48,000, I think, for baseball. And then it got bumped up to 60 and then again to 70 as they enlarged it and closed it a couple times. But even at 48,000, that was always for football, right? And then baseball played along and eventually got their own stadium. So if you went on a Sunday afternoon, they would have one section of – Marines and one section from the uh, Navy uh, recruiting depot, I guess. And they would have a full section on the loge level down each line. It would stand out because there'd be nobody around them, but they would be packed in. They didn't get to spread out at all. It was very much, you know, it's the military. So there's a, there's a butt in every seat and every row. And 
when you're a little kid, those are, you know, grown adults, right? Those are, those are grown men. And PK, I went to a game in the new stadium with my kid when he was, I don't know, five, six, seven, whatever he was. He was young. And we walked to go to concessions or bathrooms or something in between innings. And the, the uh, Marines were going out and they were getting like a hot dog and a soda. And they just went down the line and, and grabbed it, right? It was all set up for them. And as we walked by, I'm like, those kids are like 18, 19 years old. <laughs> Those are kids. Oh, I see where you're going. My perspective yeah. has completely changed. They were always the same age. The kids going through the recruiting depot are always the same age. But when I walked by, I was like, you're just a kid. And earlier in my life, I'd be like, you're a grown adult. You scare me. <laughs> yeah, I got you. All right, DJ and PK, we got a whole list of ideas. You need ideas. Hit us up on Twitter, David DJ James, Facebook, DJ and PK. More later in the show, right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. This is unripe. You guys are doing a hell of a job. Joe Rabinowitz from the Columbus Dispatch covering the Ohio State Buckeyes. What matters is the playoffs. And if you're not in the playoffs, everything else is kind of an afterthought. But if you're not going to be in the playoffs, and look, only four teams are in it. There are a lot of consolation prizes. If you have to have one of the consolation prizes, this is the best one to have if you're an Ohio State fan or a Big Ten fan. Because there is something still special about just saying, you're going to Pasadena, you're going to play in that Rose Bowl. There's so much history, so much tradition with that. And, and for most of Ohio State's existence, playing and winning in the Rose Bowl was the ultimate. Unbelievable! Catch Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Kieran. Weekdays from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. This week's Raider game against the Broncos is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raider debit card. All of the same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at americafirst.com slash Raiders. Had David Locke on earlier this morning. If you missed it, you can get it wherever. We actually talked a little football with him before we talked a lot of basketball. Wherever you get your podcasts. If you missed Joe Ingles yesterday, wherever you get your podcasts, check it out. Uh, Yak, how many places are these podcasts available now? <laughs> what, what's like the list up to now? How You're long, the one who posts it. How long do we got here? Go ahead. Hit me. Give people our options. All Apple devices, Apple Podcasts, you got Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast app. They're, it's everywhere. It's out there. Yeah. Uh, the Jazz are playing Minnesota tomorrow night, and then they play Dallas Saturday night. That 8.30 game could be switched. If another game is canceled, then they could slide that Jazz game into another TV time spot earlier in the day. So if you've got tickets, you'll have to stay tuned to Figure out how that's going. The commissioner let that out. You know, PK, you said earlier this morning uh, at, in reaction to Adam Silver saying that uh, they're not looking at shutting down the league. And you got to ask that question because the NHL has stopped things. And I'm not convinced that the NHL isn't uh, playing a little bit of politics here because they're also not sending their players now to China for the Olympics. So maybe they're like, oh, we'll, we'll stop for a week here. We've had some teams with issues. and we'll, See, it's too big an issue, and we just can't do it. So that could be their thing. And obviously basketball doesn't have to send players to the Winter Olympics in the middle of the season. They don't have the same deal there. But you, know, you said that Silver doing a, a kind of a Republican thing there when he said, we have to learn to live with it. How much do you trust people to get off the position that they staked out 21 months ago based on their political thoughts? Because we are going to have to live with it at some point. It doesn't seem to be going away. You can live with it by sitting at home and never going anywhere. But the commissioner is also talking about a league where 97% of the people are reportedly vaccinated. And I think in Utah, we're high 50s or maybe we're 60% vaccinated. So... 
Do you think people are ever going to get off the positions they've staked out? You have the gut instinct. You have the Jersey oh, instinct man, for deep. people's behavior. Well, it is a Republican <laughs> thing to say, hey, we have to learn to live with this. It is, quote unquote, a Democratic thing, which none of this fits because I think 40 percent of Republicans in a survey I saw said they weren't going to get vaccinated. Well, that means 60 percent are. So none of this stuff is cut and dried. But in the screaming environment we live in, you know, that kind of nuance <laughs> doesn't doesn't get covered. But as long as 40 percent of the people aren't vaccinated, well, that's different than making decisions in an NBA environment where three percent of the players aren't vaccinated or whatever the number is now. That story I saw was from a couple weeks ago. It may have moved a little bit, but at 97 percent, they're obviously way more vaccinated than the public at large. OK, yeah. All right. So what's that mean? It's if they're vaccinated, it's safer for them. There's still breakthroughs, so it's not 100% safe, but it's safer for them to move around and quote-unquote live life. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a scientist in the least degree. I know, but we've all seen the reports that the numbers, whether it's eight or ten times less likely to get sick or to get hospitalized or to die. I got it. I I know work said you had to have it, but I was going to do it irregardless. Irregardless. I'm on board, uh, even though I don't understand anything. <laughs> I know, right. How is this like the polio vaccine? I'm not exactly the right guy to ask. Yeah, yeah. I got, I've got no clue on that. But, I mean, I think that these leagues and commissioners, we saw last year with the college football, oh, we can't do this, blah, blah, blah. Well, it turns out you could. And, and I don't necessarily have a problem with people making uh, declarative statements. We talked about, about Bruce Arians yesterday. One more. More screw up with Antonio Brown. And he's, and gone. he's gone. We've got oh, one more screw up. Well, <laughs> Godwin tore his ACL though, and for yeah. out for at least the regular season. Right. Yeah. So Antonio, get out there. Right. I mean, he's a really good player. And then what's your your mission statement? You know, you're trying to win games, and money's involved, and. So Tom, the clock is ticking on Tom Brady, allegedly. Uh, we um, believe allegedly. it would, to one degree or another it is. So you factor in all those situations there, and I'm okay with people changing their minds. And I don't th- You're going to say, oh, they're hypocritical. Uh, yeah, yeah, the line starts over here for uh, hypocritical, and it goes all the way to Tara Hutt. To, to quote, <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, the, the other thing is that like, if you get new information, you get to have a new opinion. And we're constantly getting new information, especially about this situation. I mean, yeah, this is our uh, first Whether the pandemic. information is accurate, I don't know. Right. Well, that's part of getting new information. Hey, what I learned here and I thought was inaccurate, I now know it is accurate. I trust this information more than I did six months ago. Or conversely, well, I trust this information less than I did a few months ago because now I've learned X, Y, Z. Okay, maybe so. Uh, bottom line with Adam Silver here saying they're going to forge ahead, I support it 100%. Because there's so many folks that rely on this stuff. I mean, we got we got livelihoods at stake, and I'm not talking about the players exclusively by any stretch, because they could probably withstand. And we had Joe, Joe Ingles, Ingles on yesterday, his and bank he was talking. Is yeah, fine, yeah, right. I mean, as it should be, right? Unless you're just right. totally uh, irresponsible with your money. A lot of people yeah. employed by clubs who have a yes. lot of different jobs, or even if they're not employed by clubs, the restaurants near the arenas and stuff. Yep. 
the parking attendants, mm-hmm. the, the guys at the bottom level, which that's where I came from, the bottom level, man. There's, there's a lot of per diem jobs. Yeah, uh, the, the people who clean the arena. That, who clean that the was arena. who that's we were. One. And they need jobs, man. So you cannot take this lightly. You also can't take it irresponsibly either, too. So I support the NBA and whatever league trying to forge ahead to see what they could do. And then if if it's a month down the road or it's whatever down the road and you need to decide, hey, we need to take a change of action, okay, don't box yourself into a corner now and say, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And that's the way it is. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. And one thing I've learned as I've gotten older is I never say I'm going to do this or that until <laughs> I actually get to that point where I've got to make a decision. Okay, am I going to do this or am I going to do that's, that? That's a Kevin O'Connor line. I was asking him, and I don't even know what player it was about picking up an option because it was clear to me they were going to pick up an option but it was like four months away and he said, no, I'm not going to do it yet. I don't have to. The deadline right. was September, October whatever it was. And he said and I said, oh, he says you know, I generally agree with you but have you ever heard of, and he named an athlete who'd been in an in a auto motorcycle wreck. And he said, what happens if that happens in six weeks? Where am I then? And they ended up picking up the option like a week before the deadline. Well, I always so thought it, that, but he didn't. Get I always thought Stockton's part. option was going to get picked <laughs> it up. Wasn't Stockton? Oh, okay. I don't remember who it was, but it was. Speaking of vaccine, but we don't want to go down that road. Too late. We already did. <laughs> <laughs> I brought it up. All right, DJ PK, it's ninety-seven five at twelve eighty. The zone. We are joined now by Rhonda Greenwood, board member at the Road Home, the Radiothon, the Holiday Mediathon continues right now. The Huntsman Foundation is matching donations up to one million dollars, and you can make a donation on the phone at 801-819-7300. 801-819-7300. Or online at theroadhome.org. Pick up the phone, 801-819-7300, or go online at theroadhome.org. Rhonda, I am curious, uh, you're buying. As a board member, you've bought in at a pretty high level here. You're all in on the road home. How come? You know what? Hey, thanks so much for letting me come on this morning and tell people why I do trust the Road Home so much. You know, I'm really proud to be a board member. I've observed them, worked with them for a number of years on their board and just as a volunteer. And I can tell you, they're so professional and the people are so compassionate in working with people who are homeless. And and they use best industry practices. They're always right on top of the latest uh, trends in, in this industry. And every year, they receive a five-star rating, which is the best rating, from Charity Navigator, which is an independent financial auditing firm that audits nonprofits. And so they're an organization that really has their act together. And, and then what do they do for the homeless? Well, you know what? Every day the road home serves approximately 900 people with emergency shelter and over 1,500 people in housing. And so the road home is not just about providing that immediate emergency shelter for people who need a place, and but they also provide counseling, hold people's hands, and take them through a process and connect those people with resources in the community so they can get to more 
permanent housing. And that's the whole solution for ending homelessness is getting people the services they need, helping them turn their lives around and getting them into a situation where they'll live in a space that they can afford and can manage and they can manage their lives. So it's such important work that I'm just just so deeply impressed by the people and the work that they do. And they have such a positive um, impact on the community. You know, homelessness is just keeps um, growing in Utah and across the country. It is a huge, a huge, huge issue. And I wanted to be a part of that and to do something. And, you know, people today can do something about it during this time of year when we're buying presents for for everyone in our family and our friends and having a great time. It's also a really good time to think about people who are less fortunate. And this is such an easy, easy way to uh, donate, to go to roadhome.org, you know, click, pay by PayPal or by credit card and give them a little money. And even if it's a $20 donation, it's greatly appreciated. And, you know, 89% of people's donations go to programs and services. That's a really high um, amount. It's not going to things that are not important. It's going right to the services and programs that help the people who are struggling with homelessness. So I am just so pleased and impressed to be uh, a small part of that organization. You can donate right now, 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300, or donate online at theroadhome.org. The Road Home served nearly 2,000 children. They are a big part of the homeless population. You can help those kids right now at 801-819-7300. Rhonda, thank you. Thank you so much. This is fairly downbeat music to bring us back, Yach. Give it a minute. PK, you're a little depressed right now. Because Yach's got some music that'll help. (laughs) I saw Mama kissing Santa Claus. That's a little more upbeat. (laughs) Yach. Give it a minute. Oh, boy. I got a headache. Is this the Trans-Siberian? It would be Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Okay, let's pick it up now. I was about to say, give it a second. It started in a dark place. Let it breathe for a second. Bells will be ringing. Nice. <laughs> the John Watson Chevrolet High School Player of the Week Award is presented weekly to the top prep boys and girls basketball players in northern Utah. This week's winners were Kakoa Beard from Ben Loman High School and Nicole Williams from Roy High School. See why new and used car buyers give John Watson Chevrolet more five-star reviews than any other Chevy dealer in Utah. John Watson Chevrolet, your five-star Chevy dealer. Did you read what Lisa did, DJ? I have not. You need to read this one. Lisa. Is it on Twitter or Facebook? Twitter. Going against the grain. How could she live with herself? A shower is required, <laughs> if, not a, if not a mud bath. You fans would say a shower is required every time Lisa calls in. 
Mama Haas here. My son and his fiance are going to the Rose Bowl this year. Because I love them both, I bought them two University of Utah sweatshirts and two University of Utah shirts to give to them on Christmas. I feel a little nauseous, but you do for family. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I can see tickets, but gear, apparel, in your house, in my house, in my room? Where my children play, <laughs> where my wife sleeps. <laughs> I don't know, man. That's over the top. <laughs> also, too, I was thinking about this. We're just talking about tickets to the Rose Bowl as a Christmas gift. My guess is there's going to be literally hundreds of thousands of dollars spent in our community on Rose Bowl gear. And if it not for uh, what's Christmas Saturday, then certainly when you get down there. I saw you fans complaining about this. Uh, Holly, Holly Rowe tweeted out video of uh, a Rose Bowl paraphernalia. The stuff you're talking about. It was a white sweatshirt and it had the U of U interlocking logo on the, on the front. Mm-hmm. And it had a rose, a single rose going through it. And it really did look good. And... A Those lot of you fans were night, liking right? it and retweeting it, and then subsequently, you fans were saying, I wish I never retweeted that. I'm now getting spammed with commercial offers, and it's really annoying. And there are multiple people who did that. So I don't know who those people were or how that works or how that played out. But you're right. The allure of that stuff. I mean, Holly tweeted out because she knew a lot of people would want to see it. Right. And sure enough, yeah, people yeah. were retweeting it, but it was clearly, you know, that's bait. Where's the, where's the gif for that? Right. The guy looking up from the, what, what movie is that from? That's bait. That one's it's the one that's about like the death race. I'm trying to remember the name of that. Yeah. Is. I can't remember it either though. It'll, Anyway, that's bait, <laughs> and it worked perfectly. Well, of but course it, it, it is. Really because did, it really did look good. You can't just wear Utah gear to the game. You have to wear Utah Rose Bowl gear to the game. Now you're talking. Yeah, you gotta up. You gotta step up your game. Simply wearing what you normally wear to a home game, or if you should go to a road game, that's no longer good enough. This game, it has to be game specific. It must entail some form of representation of the actual Rose Bowl, and there'll be all sorts of uh, options available to you. Some you of it get, legal, you know, some of it knockoff, whatever it might be. You know, and if you want to get the Ohio State. Combined with the Ute thing, too, that's there. So you can get the actual participants of the game, or you could just go with the Utes. But there there has to be. I'm going to get there early, and if I see anybody in just traditional Ute gear, I'm going to tell them they've got to go change. Kick them out. You are kicked out, not just of the Rose Bowl, out of all of Pasadena. Yeah, because this You're is going to be— San Dimas. It's going to be before the game, so it'll be the Brookside Golf Course is there. I've played that many times, not in a long time, but uh, used to be on my rotation. And this people don't understand, you know, if you lived in Cal- uh, Southern California, your rotation of golf courses encompassed, literally encompassed like 90 miles because there was so few relative to the amount of people. Here, you can go 10 minutes and have 15 options, uh, whereas in that area, I, I mean, I lived by... Uh, a mile from the water, and I'd drive all the way to Pasadena to play Brookside, and because you had to do what you had to do to play golf, so all those people will be there, and you better be in Rose Bowl gear. This 
this could be once in a lifetime. And I know people are talking about next year they're going to be. You don't know that. You have no idea. Plus, you can't control what the other teams are going to do. And you don't know who's going to get you. And there's a bunch of guys that are already going to the NFL, as they should. And several of them have yet to announce. Oh, there's still some maybes out there. I assume they're gone. But they haven't officially announced it. I don't. Right. Has, has Keith he announced he's going yet? Because I don't think he has. He is I don't not. Think he has, but, but don't I'm, we think he's going? I would go. Yes. If I, I think were him. Is. Yeah, we all think he is. I mean, you can but go if he make wants money. to wait and announce after a game, so. Oh yeah, that's later. fine. There's yeah. plenty of time right. to, to figure out or make a public announcement. But several of them have already announced. Obviously, they're going. Yep. And take their shot, and we wish them the best, and hope they make it, and all. We I, at least I do. I fully understand. But you can't say, oh, next year we're going to be this or that. I mean, you don't know that. You just and even if you are this or that, you have three well, turnovers in that final game. It comes down to a one-game deal. And how do we know next year that the team, if you were to win the out, the team you play in the North doesn't have their coach with two feet out the door already, or unless he just absolutely didn't have any discussions, and then the day later, like, like Lincoln Riley, you know, they just decided like in the wee hours of the morning, they called me at midnight, and by 2 o'clock, I had made a massive career decision. That's yeah. an awesome story, and I'm glad you read me that bedtime tale, but I don't really believe it. <laughs> Nobody I does. mean, I enjoyed the story. Thanks for the story, but I, yeah, I don't buy that. And it was so clear... Your Devils are a good example because they went for the first time in year nine and they'd had a couple of second place finishes and a third place finish. They'd been right there. And then they they went again in year 19 and they really weren't all that close between the first and second trips. They didn't have that many close calls. And then they go to the Rose in 96 and since then they've shared a conference title, but they had to go holiday bowl because SC was at the top of their game and had the tiebreaker on them then in 07. Yeah, share the title. That's a bunch of crap. Right, they and that won't happen whooped. anymore because they, they got the whooped game. by SC. But uh, so, if you but they both finished. And then they had the, the one time Stanford got them. They won the division, and, mm-hmm. and Stanford beat the crap out of them yep. when Stanford had it going on. But Stanford the point won. is, it's twenty five years now. Yeah, this is the twenty fifth anniversary oh, of your last Rose Bowl. I mean, I would go to Arizona. It's only been forever. <laughs> Oregon State, <laughs> Cal, and uh, Arizona. Arizona hasn't been since they joined the league in 78. Oregon State had a bid in the early to mid-60s. They went 65, And the Cal's like 58, 59? Yeah, right. Cal's late 50s. Yeah, so take nothing for granted. You've got to get Rose Bowl gear. And if you have the financial wherewithal to go, get your rear ends down there because it will be a joyous experience, even in defeat, although I can't speak to that. Because the one time I went to the Rose Bowl as a fan, the Devils won. And then in 96, they lost to Ohio State in the last second. But I was not there. I just watched it on television. That was the before was the Cotton Bowl, then followed by the Rose Bowl on that particular day. Uh, what would have been January 1, 1997. So I don't know what it's like to walk out of there with the team that I wanted to win to win. I mean, lose. But I would think even so. And then if you should win, and we'll talk about this next week, I believe if you win, it's the best freaking win in school history. Ever. You have arrived. You have arrived. Don't don't give me Alabama. No, this would be bigger. This would be bigger because you were in the Mountain West and you went, when you were in the G5, on the national stage, you go back to square one the next year. That's just how... You get treated. If you do it as a Power 5 conference champion, then they look at you differently the next year. Sure, but I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about the caliber of team. 
Alabama didn't have the slew of NFL quarterbacks that they've got now, whereas Ohio State, they've got that's the that's the danger with these programs is that before you could always count on them to have that prototypical cliche game manager at quarterback. But not now. Now they've got big-time high draft picks. That's where they're at. That's what separates this Ohio State team from that Alabama team. The Alabama team had Julio Jones. The problem is they had nobody to throw to him. Now they've got first-round picks. And then the Buckeyes got freaking three receivers that are 1,000 yards. They got a 1,000-yard rusher. I mean, my goodness, they are so loaded. This Ohio State team would have run circles about around that Alabama team. If you manage to beat these guys, oh, man, it, it's your best victory in school history, and it's not, not even, even close. close. <laughs> truth. I'm spitting truth loogies right now. <laughs> It is so hard to get there. Since the Pac-12 went to 12, the Utes are the fifth team to win the conference title. Oregon's got four. Stanford's got three. Washington's got two. And USC's got one. Who would have thought the day they joined the league, after 11 years, Utah and USC would have the same number of conference titles? One. Who'd have thunk it? Nobody. Yeah, I get your point. Yeah, I, I, I see where you're going. Uh, on that, uh, not that Utah would have been bad, but we would have thought SC would have more. Uh, so I, I, I catch your point there. I think that even if you don't get tickets, I think there's going to be a ton of Rose Bowl gear being uh, unopened in packages and boxes on Saturday morning or Christmas Eve night, whenever you do your your traditional gift exchange. There's going to be a lot going on there. There's going to be a lot of people. At the game, we'll have the gear. Plus, there's going to be a lot of people who don't go to the game. We'll have the gear. You a Christmas Eve or a Christmas morning gift opener? Christmas morning. Yeah. Growing up with family and both, uh, both sides of the family in town, as a kid, it was the uh, dad's relatives on Christmas Eve. So we got some gifts there. Depending on how many people are in town, there's probably four or five gifts with the great aunts and uncles and the grandparents and all that. And then Christmas morning was, was the full-blown deal. I love hearing about your idyllic childhood. What about you? You had like 10, <laughs> 10 siblings on each side of the family. Because when my mom was a kid, she said they had to go to both sides of the family on Christmas Day. And she was always stuffed because her grandmother, grandmothers were always, here, I have more food. And she felt like it was rude. She hated it. She wasn't an eater either. Uh, well, Agnes had to bear her burdens. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had an interesting situation where it was half and half because when I was uh, 14, we moved across the country. So Christmas was, became a very different deal, huh? All of a sudden, we had nothing. We went from massive amounts of family. I mean, just inordinately huge uh, to ever watch the Sopranos when they have those family gatherings in Jersey. That was what I was used to. We just have so many folks there at all. Uh, just at so many occasions, so many weddings and blah, 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 and all that stuff, birthdays and anniversaries to, to go moving to Arizona and being cast out in the desert. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Speak the people's language. Yeah. But it wasn't for 40 days, was it? No. No, although uh, sometimes it felt like because you went from a massive amount of people to 
to very little. My grandfathers were both like one of five or six siblings. And so there were great aunts and uncles all over the place. But you had way more than that. I did, yeah. I mean, there were just, and there was a huge age gap, too. My mother was on the younger side. Of how many? So, uh, 10. Well, 11. One did, one died, but. Uh, and your uh, dad? 10, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just... Holy cow. Because <laughs> my parents were two and three. You know, it was the grandparents where it was bigger, and that generation had mostly stayed in San Diego. So, no, they but took, ten, uh, holy cow! Yeah, they took the uh, be fruitful and multiply to the bank there. There it is. Uh, the Irish and and the Italian they were they were hardcore Catholics, and they did what they were supposed to do, and uh, that was uh, reproduced to a, an extreme amount of uh, levels, and so they did that. So yeah, we had massive amounts, and and then you had. Uh, your godparents would give you gifts. My godparents gave me bonds for Christmas every year. Yeah. And then when I was right towards the end of my senior year of high school, I mean, like two, three weeks to go, my father said, okay, we're going to cash these things in here. You got to get yourself a car. And uh, so, so I went and looked at a bunch of cars, which was a waste of time because he was just going to pick out the car that I was going to have anyway. <laughs> That's what happened with my first car. He picked out, turned out dad wanted me to have a, a, a puke green Ford Torino with a vinyl top. Dad, man, that thing is ugly. Yeah. That's not even mediocre. That is ugly. So I got a Camaro. and You I got a Camaro a, and I got a Torino. And you then, win again. I had it for the summer. I had it so I had like the last couple of weeks of school. I had it for the summer, and then I had it for the first month of my schooling at Northern Arizona. And then that's when my father's car broke, and I thought my car's just sitting in this parking lot here because I'm on campus all the time. So I ended up giving it to him for the next couple of years, and then uh, then he sold it. And I remember uh, he told me he was going to sell it for like nine hundred dollars. I said, oh, okay, fine. Uh, and then he gets the money and he hands me the, this is like two, three years later, he hands me the money and he gives me $900. He said, aren't you going to count it? I said, you're my father. If you're <laughs> cheating me out of money, I'm we got screwed. way more issues than how much money is in that stack of bills right there. Yeah, man. All right, DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Coming up, everything you missed in this show, we will get you up to speed. Uh, We had Lincoln Kennedy on in the 7 o'clock hour, David Locke in the 8 o'clock hour. We'll tell you about those. Right now, we'll bring in Bailey White, Director of Grants and Compliance at The Road Home. Bailey, good morning. Good morning. How are you? We're doing well. You write grants for The Road Home? Yeah, so I help secure all of our government grant funding and make sure that we stick to all of the many rules that comes with it. So you must know from filling out those forms all kinds of facts and details about the road home that not only the general public doesn't know, but probably a lot of people at the road home don't know because you must be diving into the details. What is something you know that we don't that we would all find interesting? Well, last year we served over 6,800 people, and nearly 2,000 of those were children, and more than 400 families were in our emergency shelter. How much are you writing grants for the overnight shelters, and how much are you writing for the supportive housing, places like Palmer Court and that? So for the emergency shelter grants, we write about, we request about $12 million in government grants. Uh, We don't usually get that much. And then for our housing programs, which are actually serving more people than our emergency shelter programs, 
we it kind of depends on the year and what kind of programs we're implementing. So people hear that and they might think, well, how important is the holiday media thon then? But that's a pretty big chunk of the budget and fairly important too, isn't it? Oh, of course. Yeah, the Holiday Mediathon is incredibly important to us. We could not do the things that we do without the support of private donors and volunteers. Um, Our government funds, like I said, have a lot of rules and things attached to them that we can't really, so we can't do specific things with them. But with the private funding, we're able to be more flexible and help people out. You can donate right now to the Holiday Mediathon. Call 801-819-7300. 801-819-7300. Or donate online at theroadhome.org. Theroadhome.org. Give us one thing, one thing that uh, really motivates you to do what you do, and it would motivate people to pick up the phone or, or click online and make a donation right now. Uh, my biggest motivator is that these are people in our community. These are people that you went to school with. These are people that you know from church. These are just regular members of your community who happen to have something bad happen to them or maybe hit a kind of a snag in the road, and they, they just need a little bit of extra support. I think it's really important to just remember that these are other people that we are close with and that we know and that grew up in the same area as us. So that really helps me. She's Baylor White, Director of Grants and Compliance. She's part of the team at The Road Home, and you can join the team at The Road Home by making a call right now and making a donation at 801-819-7300. 801-819-7300, or go online to theroadhome.org. They helped about 2,000 kids last year. You look at the temperatures right now, people should not be sleeping in cars, in doorways. Get them into The Road Home and get them on the track to... Self-sufficiency, get them into a supportive housing program, and get them back on track. Bailey, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much. 801-819-7300. 801-819-7300. PK and I will get you up to speed next. Stay with us. It's official. The youths are the 2021 Pac-12 champs and are heading to the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl. What better way for the youths to make their inaugural trip to the Rose Bowl than a battle against Ohio State? Keep it locked on the Zone Sports Network as we get you ready for the youths' historic trip to Pasadena. Your home for the best coverage of the youths in the Rose Bowl is right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. 9 a.m. Slacker Radio Headlines brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for their $59 furnace tune-up special or visit them online at leesheatac.com. Time to catch you up today on everything that's happened in this show. And one thing just happened in the commercial break. Well, it probably happened earlier, but it was announced in the commercial break. Joey? Joe Johnson. Iso Joe. Iso Joe, former jazz man, former net, former hawk, longtime NBA guy, back in the league on a 10-day contract. COVID, opening doors, PK. Yeah, some might say they're shutting doors, but yeah. Opening doors for Joe Johnson. How about that? <laughs> Joe Johnson, age 40. So look for Joe Johnson. Well, for the next 10 days. Can he still stay in front of people? Probably not. Can he still shoot the three? Absolutely. I don't think of him as a three-point shooter. I think of him as uh, using his incredible size and bulk and strength. Yep. That's why they called him ISO Joe. Yeah, to to just kind of old school back his way down, sort of like a poor man's Charles Barkley type of player. 
Well, there's hardcore fans who can remember him doing a lot of stuff, but even the most casual fan can probably remember him squirming and sliding and into the paint and that thing rolling around the rim and going in to beat the Clippers in game one. And that wasn't really a back down. It wasn't really a drive. But all you know is he got into the paint and he got the shot off. (laughs) And it went in. Yeah, he's one of those guys that I wish would have been on the Jazz earlier. That would have been good. Because I thought he was a tremendous addition. You talk about leadership, and David Locke was on an hour and a half ago talking about leadership and talking about how Chris Paul has really been the identifiable leader there was a play uh, in the Laker game last night. I think it was Landry Shamit goes to the bucket and gets a uh, uh, old-fashioned three-point play, and he extends it into the baseline there, where he sort of stumbles with a photographer. Mm-hmm. Chris Paul's not in the game, right? And he, but he gets up because it's on the it's on the Suns' end of the basket, and he gets up and he sees that Shamit is okay. He starts to go over to Shamit and make sure he's okay. Then he sees Shamit's okay. So what does he do? He goes and he helps up the photographer <laughs> who was uh, sort of stumbled on a little bit. We've seen that a bunch of times. Nobody was injured. But, I mean, Chris Paul is the ultimate leader for Phoenix, and it's paying off big time, you know. And he was talking about how, well, do the Jazz really have that type of player? Because Conley doesn't have the stature of a Chris Paul, nor does he have the personality of a Chris Paul. Chris Paul got a technical last night. He was upset about something. I mean, he's you can count on that. Mike Conley hasn't gotten one technical in 14, 15 years in the league, I, I think they said. Not one. He's never been thrown out. Nothing. So it really isn't his type of personality. And is Mitchell too young? Does he have the acclaim that a Chris Paul has? To, so that do they really have they have someone who wants to be but Mitchell isn't quite there yet whereas Phoenix had that and I can remember interviewing and talking to Joe Johnson a number of times and you really felt like when you talked with him he was somebody that if he said something if he chose to say something in the locker room that everybody including coaches were going to listen he was there of course the year after Hayward took off and it must have been media day and we're over at the practice facility and people are asking him about the Hayward thing because it was still a big thing because we didn't know what Mitchell was going to become right and we thought oh my gosh they got to the playoffs now all of a sudden they might be out again and so they're rebuilding project was cut off at the knees and so they're asking him uh, questions and finally joe says you know i'm here to talk about the jazz not to talk about the celtics and just the way he said it like all right man this guy means business and i think that's what i would have loved to have seen joe johnson his skill a little earlier and plus his leadership that he provided to the Jazz at that time. I don't know what he's going to do in Boston now, but back then, and that's something that you really need, and maybe that's something that the Jazz are missing, whereas the Suns have that and Chris Paul in abundance. Joe Johnson back in the league. 10-day deal with the Boston Celtics, expected to play tonight against Cleveland. And footnote, the Celtics drafted him 20 years ago. And now he's 40. Uh, we, you know, one other thing Locke was talking uh, when we were talking to him about uh, Chris Paul. 
And I mentioned, you know, Chris irritates this fans that just don't like him. And then there have been times where, you know, teams, he's been divisive inside teams. And David said, yeah, you get to the second year and he's worn some guys out. I wonder if he's just not going to wear guys out because of the way they won year one. You know, this stuff you're putting up with, there is stuff you are willing to put up with when you're winning or achieving at a high level. You might not be willing to put up with if your team is 500 or going out in the second round. Well, I think in some of those situations, he had peers. I don't think he has peers on the Suns team. That's another good point. Yeah, Aiton's not going to stand up to him, right? Aiton's thinking, you're Chris Paul. I'm still figuring this out. Yeah, right. And he was, and plus the team had not made the playoffs, I think, for 10 or 11 right. years yeah. in a row. Yeah, see, Booker's, Booker's more established than Aiton, but Booker's thinking, I'm getting pretty deep in the career here not to have even played a playoff game. It's right, like, well, we're Chris, a league that takes half the teams. Right, yeah. and again, Chris Paul shows up against the playoffs like, sweet, this is what I need to be doing. Right, and I don't think Booker's production hasn't decreased. If anything, it's the same or better, but more importantly, and everybody has an ego, his stature in the league and his profile has increased because Paul is helping them win, and he was a missing piece in which they did not have. So it allowed the team to be much better. In turn, Booker's starting to get some recognition. All we knew of Booker before Chris Paul, uh, he was the guy who scored 70 points on that crappy team. His sixth year in the league, Chris Paul gets him to the NBA Finals. Obviously not gets him, but they get there together. And now he's in year seven. And actually, this is the year his scoring has dropped a little bit, but it's still good. It's still 23 points a game. But I suspect they're blowing people out. Yeah, he's playing fewer minutes. He's down about four minutes a game, three or four minutes a game. Yes, and I think the the talent around him has gotten better. Mm-hmm. But last night, man, he was feeling it, and he's a, he is a big-time shooter. Yeah, you do not want to be playing against him when he's feeling it. He will light you up. Yeah. All right, other stuff we talked about this morning. We had David Locke on. We had Lincoln Kennedy on. He talked a little bit about the Pac-12 committee he's on now with one representative from every team, kind of looking at it from the player's perspective, looking at NIL stuff, and they're into it. He said the Utes NIL, which hasn't been as public as what BYU did with Bilt Bar, but he said he liked their model. Steve Smith is a Ute on that committee. But they're looking at a lot of stuff to try and make the Pac-12 more competitive, step up their game, get more recognition, get better players, keep more people home, and get to a better place in the world of college football. I think it's mostly cosmetic, though. You said the PR thing. Look at all the good players we've got in our league. You could look, look who you could be if you come to a Pac-12 school. Yeah, this is just a PR spin. I don't have any problem with them doing it. What they need to do is get the best players and pay them the most, the most money. money. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Name, image, and likeness. What can you do for me? Yeah, I spoke. I spoke. Uh, was would have been last week. Would have been late last week. I spoke to a big time agent. I was on the phone with them. And he is in the NFL. He does some college coaches, too, but mostly a large percentage is NFL players, and he's well-known in the community. And he was in the NFL community, I speak of, not our community. And he was saying that he is getting calls from dads that want to know, where can I send my my kid to get the most amount of money? And that's what it should be, man, because money talks. I mean, come on. 
That makes the difference. Yeah, it's not everything, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you got me there. But it really, really matters. And so they've got to figure out ways to get these kids, particularly the California kids who are going east to one degree or another. Some of them are going all the way east. Some of them are stopping off in Oklahoma or Ohio State or wherever. And get them to figure, if you stay here, you will get... $1.5 $1.5 million. So I'm just using a figure off the top of my head. Yeah, but that's and not that's not outrageous. Through the Texas quarterback who went to Ohio State, left school early. Million yeah, dollars worth of NIL. Million dollars has been thrown out by Nick Saban already. Yeah. He can get his quarterback a million bucks. So that can sound like an outrageous number, but it's going to be a real number for some quarterbacks. And this NIL money is just going to go the way of coaching salary money. I don't think there's any doubt about that. To the ones who come in with all the hype, yeah. So I think that's what they need to do. And it's it's good. They've got some big-name folks on this list. And Lincoln Kennedy, if you're a lineman, go listen to him to see what he has to say because you know, he was a great, great player. And, and the thing I love about Lincoln is he was smart enough to use his playing ability combined with celebrity into a lucrative career afterward. That's also extremely important. When I see these guys who have parlayed whatever, whatever fame, I remember Junior Bridgman played for the Bucks, and I read a story about him uh, going back to the Louisville area and starting some businesses. I mean, that's really important, and I love to hear those stories. I love it when guys use their athletic ability to parlay into business. And that's really important. And you look at somebody like Lincoln, he obviously has done that, right? And he's got uh, both college and pro. So he parlayed his athletic talent and fame into lucrative careers because you're going to retire. You know, if you last 35 in the NFL, Tom Brady notwithstanding, that's awesome. But then you still got another 40 years to go. You know what I mean? And so to do that, to set these guys up like that, that's that's big time, and I think that's what's going to make the difference in the Pac-12. I think they're fighting uphill with the television and all, with the mm-hmm. late games and whatnot. But if you can toss money into their bank accounts, that's really going to speak uh, extremely loud, more than pretty much anything that you can say. And then maybe they can make a dent in there, and, and I think that's the number one. Klyovkov addressed that at uh, the, his press conference. I was there before the uh, title game, and he spoke open. That's what I like about Larry, Larry Scott tend to be a PR guy and would try to put the most positive spin on the worst situations possible. If you ask him about uh, DirecTV, he'd tell you about uh, Joe's Cable System in Chico, and if you live there, you can get it. Okay, great. But that still doesn't address the issue that you're not on DirecTV. Whereas Kalafkov is willing to address, oh, there's nothing we can do about it now, but we got to get better in this. And Larry was about spin. Kalafkov is more about reality. And he mentioned, they said that specifically, we're not keeping enough of our kids home. In our, that grow up playing high school football in our conference, wherever it might be, from Tucson all the way up to Seattle and over to Salt Lake and Colorado. We're not keeping them home, and we've got to do a much better job at that. Well, and this I, is the way to go about it. I expect USC is about to step up its game big time. They, they got the coach. They got name, image, and likeness money. They got deep-pocketed boosters. So it'll start there. And Oregon, now can the, the Utahs and the ASUs and the Stanfords do the same thing and on down the line. 
there have been stories about uh, Arizona having a great recruiting haul despite a, a terrible season. They went into Servite High, which... Uh, Servite. Got four kids out of yeah. Servite. A, a four-and-a-half star receiver is going to make all the difference in the world. Well, blah, if blah, you blah, can blah, get blah. 20 more guys, because it requires well, depth. I don't think that's ever going to change for Utah, but I don't think it needs to change for Utah. Now, they got to pay money, but what they're going to build and rely on is finding kids and developing them. And they're going to get Jalen Johnson types and, and Clark Phillips types who come in with a bunch of stars and deliver on those stars. But largely, it's going to be kids like Keithy and then mine the transfer portal, like Rising. Ah, the transfer portal. How many kids leaving California will bounce back to the Pac-12? Remains to be seen. But you would think there'd be some help in that area. All right, DJ and PK reminding you, Minky Couture wants you to help you out this holiday season with the perfect gift. Stop by any location from Ogden to St. George today. Mention Zone 50 and save 50%. Guys, it's a no-brainer. Get in today, save 50%, and get the best gift ever from Minky Couture. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Yak, I don't know what you just told me because... Now you're playing good Christmas music. There was that dirge, whatever that was. There's some kind of metal death march. (laughs) That didn't work. There's some random thing from 30 years ago that I either didn't hear or forgot that I heard. But now, like, now you're in the sweet spot. This is Christmas. If you're not bouncing in the car a little bit, what's going on? So what do you want me to read? America first, if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. No, I don't mind at all. Happy to. This week's Raider game against the Broncos is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raider debit card. All the same great features and benefits. Now with the silver and black. Learn more at AmericaFirst.com slash Raiders. Time for your feedback. Everything you have to say about today's show. Best Christmas gifts with a sports theme that you have ever given or received. Downer alert, PK. Downer alert. (laughs) Joseph Leverage. This is sadly not applicable to me. I've never, to my recollection, gotten a sports-related gift or had anyone who would really appreciate said gift. Well, then go buy yourself something. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas to me. Yeah. Carson says... Uh, because we were talking uh, merchandise earlier, Rose Bowl merchandise as a Christmas gift. I was going to wear the shirt all the players got for the Pac-12 championship, but in typical Pac-12 fashion, their business model sucks. I won't be getting sh- the shirt until the middle of January. This seemed like a long time since it was the first Friday. It was like December 3rd. I don't know what would take six weeks to Made in, take made in Asia, shitting, sitting in a uh, ship off the coast of California. Other than that, I got nothing for you. Well, then swim out there. <laughs> you just swim out there. <laughs> on the side of the ship. <laughs> hey, can you pop the top on that huge metal container and then pop open the top? <laughs> Marin says, my high school boyfriend was a huge Allen Iverson fan. Thanks to some generous family members, I gave him courtside tickets to watch the Sixers game for Christmas. Oh, Nice. I assume we're talking jazz? Yep. Oh, courtside? Wow, that's awesome. I know, right? Uh, Joe says Allen Iverson was one player I always felt was worthy of courtside seats. He was fun to watch. I think he was fun to watch, yeah. 
Watch the little guy in the big guy sport and watch how the little guy figures out how to succeed. Yeah, there's a little bit of a Britton Covey thing there. Yeah, absolutely. Back in the 70s, Bill Bob says. Back in the 70s, a great Christmas was a combo of any of these. Real or Nerf basketball, real or Nerf football. A new baseball (laughs) with a pitchback setup or a baseball bat. Yeah. The pitchback. That's not getting made anymore, is it? I haven't heard of it, but I, mean, I thought it was an ingenious invention. Uh, I, you know, I had a pitchback. The thing about that, see, you grew up where you could take it outside. Yep. I didn't. So if you got a mitt or whatever, you had to wait. Yeah, yeah I didn't have to. Well, I just had to wait for Dad to finish writing the name on everything. I had to wait. I cold it's in the, weather, man. It's, in the, it's right. in the cul-de-sac, Dad. Where's it going? Hey, i got to put your name on the ball. <laughs> Your name? Yes, and then the and then the thing, had, and it took forever to dry. You had to sit there, and he'd be blowing on it. Like, what are we doing here? Let's go outside and play. Yeah, I agree. We would we would play on asphalt and just beat those beat those that football that basketball and just beat it up. That's even better. That means it got men it got used. Oh, it got used inside that being a it. nerd. Yeah, no, we were we were out playing all the time. Good. All right, DJ and PK, it is time right now to welcome in Michelle Eining, Chief Deputy Director of The Road Home. Michelle, good morning. For having me. Thanks for coming on. Right now, the Mediathon is underway. You can make a donation right now by calling 801-819-7300 or go to theroadhome.org. And I know the business model is constantly changing. What are the biggest changes you've seen at The Road Home? We've been doing the Mediathon for a few years, but The Road Home is, is constantly evolving. That's a great question. So, yeah, in the last couple of years, we've actually had a lot of changes with the move from the downtown facility into the resource centers. Um, We have the resource center in uh, South Salt Lake for men, and then we have one in downtown Salt Lake for men and women, and we operate those facilities. In in, In addition to that, our housing programs have just continued to grow and grow and grow each year. Um, to the point where we actually support more folks in housing than we do in shelter right now, um, which is which is exactly the way we want the scales to tip, right? We want more people in housing than than in shelters, but the shelters are always going to be an a necessary thing um, for short term get people in when they're having a crisis and then help them get back into housing as quickly as possible. You've got multiple housing facilities, the Magnolia, Palmer Court, Wendell Apartments. How do those work? How do those fit into the model? How does that work for clients? Yeah, those. so all of those facilities are what we call permanent supportive housing. So they are targeted towards folks who have been homeless for a significant period of time and have some type of a disability. Um, so they are... Um, we have wraparound services in those facilities where we have case management on site and a variety of other services where we can link folks directly to health care and all of those other supports that they need to stay stable in their housing. Um, and then we just work with them as long as they need us. Cash is king, and people can make a donation right now at 801-819-7300, 801-819-7300, or online at theroadhome.org. Cash is king, but you do have in-kind needs as well. What are some of those? We do, absolutely. Coats, socks, gloves, hats, boots, underwear, all the things that that you need, our folks need as well. And so, yeah, those are 
um, socks and underwear or is our biggest, biggest needs. Um, where, but in this, yeah, where would people go with that? They can go to our Midvale Resource Center, which is at 529 West 9th Avenue, um, or the Men's Resource Center at 3380 South 1000 West and drop those items off. Or you can go online, donate cash, because, well, cash is king. 801-819-7300. 801-819-7300. Or online at theroadhome.org. $32 provides one night of emergency shelter for an individual. $100 will provide one night of emergency shelter for a family. And you can make your donation right now. Thanks so much for coming on, Michelle. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. DJ and PK, have a Merry Christmas. We are off the next couple of days. We will talk to you Monday morning. Jake and Ben are coming up next on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.